Hello, Muller Junkies. This is AG, and I have some exciting news. We are going to be launching our new online store next Monday, August 20th. We'll have all sorts of new swag along with all of your old favorites. And you'll want to buy your sexy justice calendar this week if you haven't already, because starting August 20th, those are only going to be available for new patrons and at our live events. And speaking of live events, get your tickets to our next live show at this year's Politicon in Los Angeles. We'll be there October 20th and 21st, and we'd love to see you there. So mark your sexy justice calendars, and we will launch our new online store August 20th, and we will see you live on the podcast main stage at Politicon in Los Angeles in October. For details on both, visit us at MullerSheWrote.com, where you can always become a patron. We don't know what may come of us as our podcast grows, but if you become a patron now, you will always get the bonus episodes in the newsletter. We promise that we'll be part of any deal that we might make, so sign up now. You'll be glad you did. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your anonymous host, A.G., Smashing the Crotch Act, a.k.a. the Hatch Act. I work in Trump's executive branch, until he purges me at least, so for now, I use a pseudonym. With me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. What a crazy week, you guys. Um, I spent the week in D.C., and I got to meet Scott Dworkin and Robert McGuire and David Priest, as well as some listeners, including our good friend Janelle Hampton. Oh, yay! Um, her, her friend was there. Uh, and I got to meet a wonderful sign holder at the Kremlin Annex uh, protests, and her name was April, and she was delightful. I got to speak at the Kremlin Annex protests as well, and I toured the White House, uh, so I was inside. That's so awesome. Uh, and I can't wait to take it back from the shit given. So <laughs> I had a ton of fun. What did you guys do this week? I just kind of hung out. <laughs> <laughs> That's Definitely. good, though. Downtime is nice. Yeah, yeah. I did a lot of like uh, like mental health me days. Oh, good. Yeah. And, and I know that you're working now um, right. at your phone banking. Yes, yes. That's <laughs> so great. It's political, too, which is so, so nice to do a job that feels relevant. I just call people, basically, and ask what their opinions are about Donald Trump. And if I get them to continue answering after that question, we ask more specific things. But that's usually <laughs> when people hang up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so cool. That's very important. Um, that's one way that we can make a difference, and um, I'm really glad that you're doing that. What about you? What I you uh, I started my first week on the job. Some fucking lady on Twitter tried to get me fired because I responded to a Trump status once, and I said something very mild. I was like, you're a disgrace to humanity. I can't wait till you're gone. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> can't wait till you die. Something yeah. really mild like that. <laughs> and, she, and she comments... I bet your employer, uh, she tags UC San Diego and she's like, are you okay with your employer saying these things? Are you sure you want them on your like staff or whatever? And then I responded, I was like, all right, this is the most mild comment to try to get someone fired over first off. 
uh, and then she responds, "Oh, don't worry, I've already contacted them and your supervisor and your." You just oh, like she knows all these... who that is. Yes, dude. dude. And then I reported her on Twitter, and then they fucking got her. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's, that's justice. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody tried to fax some anti-gun thing I said on Instagram <laughs> oh to my to my agency to the federal government, like just. I don't know if they just picked a random fax at the federal government offices and sent it in there, but eventually made it down to my public relations officer. And she's like, hey, uh, this is hilarious. What the fuck? <laughs> I can't believe these people literally are OK just trying to ruin someone's life. Yeah. yeah and I don't think they realize that as government employees, we have First Amendment protections, not well, private industries don't have that. Remember, like, remember the lady on the bike who flipped off the motorcade? Right. She worked for a private company. They fired her for that. Uh, you can't do that in the federal government um, because of First Amendment protections. So, ha ha ha. Yeah, that's actually, UC San Diego is technically a public university. There's no hatchback thing I have to worry about, no. right? Okay, we're no. basically privatized because everything's fucked, but I still tote around <laughs> being a public university. So aside from all that, uh, there was a ton of news this week. Um, Jaleesa, you're going to cover an update on 666 Fifth Avenue or Satan's Tower, I like to call it. Oh, yeah. Um, Devil's Tower is actually a cool rock formation, so I don't want to call it that. So we'll call it <laughs> Satan's Tower. And Jordan has an update on Devin Nunes. I'm going to be going over Manafort's trial. And we also have some amazing guests this week, including Andrea Chalupa from the Gaslit Nation podcast. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet her sister in D.C. this week, and that was a lot of fun. They're absolutely great ladies, full throttle in the resistance, and I, I love them both. Awesome. And we have MSNBC contributor and former U.S. attorney under Obama in Birmingham, Alabama, Joyce Vance. She's one of my favorite uh, MSNBC contributors, so we're going to talk to her a little bit. She answers and clears up some legal questions that I have since I am not a lawyer, even though my name is A.G. <laughs> so uh, we have a lot to get to, so let's jump in with just the facts. <laughs> On Monday, we learned that a U.S. District Court judge issued a ruling invalidating the Treasury's new rule that organizations such as the NRA do not have to list their dark money donors. Uh, I mentioned this possibility to Robert McGuire in a previous episode, so let's listen to that clip really quick. Now, could there be any uh, lawsuits filed against this decision um, that might uh, end up resulting in uh, a stay on this treasury this new treasury policy or is it just kind of nothing we can do about it until unless congress acts yeah i don't i i would say i haven't heard of anyone floating that idea um and i feel like i would have if that was a possibility so this is a big win for the citizens for responsibility and ethics or crew in washington dc which is a watchdog group that ended up filing suit against the fec uh, and that's what kind of I was speculating in that clip. Like, is anybody suing these mofos for this? Because this doesn't seem right. Uh, they were doing it as part of the whole of the whole Citizens United dark money donors to super PACs. And, and this could have implications for this new Treasury rule as well. This will um, anyway. I, I, it's like a small, tiny step in the direction of repealing Citizens United. And I love it. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Now, this ruling is likely to be appealed. Um, right. But, you know, we'll see where it ends up. It's it's good that it's being adjudicated mm -hmm. and the nra is losing support day by day so hopefully their appeal is weak as fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know. they don't have any lawyers they have no money sad face progress is gradual but I, it feels like progress yeah and I, we have to hand it to the parkland kids honestly totally yeah uh the kushner's family finally unloaded 666 and jaleesa has the details on that for us later in the show then you guys the craziest installation yet of the lube the truth tour trump admitted to collusion in a tweet 
when he said that the Trump Tower meeting was set up to get dirt on Hillary. <laughs> right. And not only, I mean, he's been denying this forever and his lawyers have been saying, no, that's not the case. Uh, and not only does this mean uh, the president is admitting that his campaign conspired with a foreign adversary to get opposi opposition research on an opponent, a political opponent, but it sort of tosses his son under the bus for lying to Congress about <laughs> the meeting. And it puts them both in the obstruction scope of the Mueller probe, since admitting they fabricated the statement about adoptions, you know, the one that Corallo quit over, that, you know, yeah. that, the spokesperson, their legal team spokesperson, he was on Air Force One, he's like, I got I quit, you guy, I can't. He jumped off. This is, yeah, he just, <laughs> parachute, bye. Eject. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> just lands on Mueller's arms. <laughs> Funk. It's like I knew you'd jump, and he, he's I've got you. Says <laughs> he's wearing his marine uniform in my head. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I totally threw Don Jr. under the bus. That's that's insane. It's so obvious to me uh, that the lube the truth tour, which is what uh, you know we call Trump and Rudy's attempt to get the truth out to his base slowly, mm -hmm. so that if Trump ever does sit down with Mueller, he won't have to lie to Mueller, right? He's like putting off all these doing these negotiations, putting off the sit down interview. Meanwhile, kind of releasing the truth here and there a little bit so that he doesn't have to lie. to pro He's he's basically kind of he knows it's a quote unquote perjury trap for him, which is not. You just don't lie. And right. You aren't trapped. Uh, and and that's just kind of how he's doing it. And this is one of the big pieces. And if I sit there and I think about all the things Mueller's going to ask him about, Giuliani's been leaking those things bit by bit. And we've talked about that mm -hmm, on the totally. show before. I um also the fact that it came out now that his previous explanation for that meeting was they were talking about adoptions and now he comes out saying it was to get dirt on Hillary Clinton that corroborates something that we all knew all along which is anytime adoptions are brought up it's always for something sketchy and it's never adoptions yep adoption beans adoption <laughs> beans so anyway um since Mueller we've talked about Mueller being more likely to write a report than drop an indictment on the president right because of the DOJ um, policy that says you know don't indict a sitting president write a report to Congress the court of public opinion can weigh heavily on the inevitable impeachment hearings that will ramp up once we flip Congress so at least for Trump you know this is good news you know well not good news but you know this is kind of Trump's strategy but he's sort of just hanging everybody else out in the wind junior is fucked have you lost your mind? He's a thief. He stole my bike. You liar. I swear I didn't do it, Dad. Not to mention good old Jay Seculo, who adamantly came out on television and said the meeting was not about dirt. It was about adoptions uh, and that Trump did not dictate the adoption statement. And, and much like Kellyanne Conway's alternative facts, you know, Seculo is now saying, well, the facts have developed. So his story changed with the facts. Dude. Facts don't develop, man. <laughs> they just exist. And the events of that meeting haven't changed. Your bullshit story about it has. So if you believe this dude, you're not the brightest crayon in the sea. Maybe they have a time machine. They're going back and developing the facts. Uh, it's just <laughs> weird. What a weird thought. Like uh, somebody had uh, tweeted out like innocent people have one story and it never changes. It's the liar that has to change their story. And this this is all that uh, the facts are developing. no. You knew all the facts, and if you didn't, you're a terrible lawyer or you have a shitty client, which is true. <laughs> yeah, all right. So way back in March of 2017, McCain, John McCain, said in a speech to the Senate that Rand Paul is working for Putin. And he said this when the Ransky would not support the addition of Montego into NATO, right? He's like, you're working for Putin. Uh, well, this week... Rand Paul told reporters he hand-delivered a letter to Putin on behalf of Trump, 
when he had a, a bunch of other traitors there with him on the 4th of July. Do you remember that mm-hmm. meeting? The White House said the letter was meant to be a means of introducing Rand Paul to Putin. And and the White House says Rand asked Trump to write the letter. Like, hey, buddy, can you write a letter to Putin so I have a reason to talk to him? That sounds so... Like, what letter... What did the letter say? Like, hello, Vlad. Do you like Rand? Check this box. Um, uh, my dearest Pootie, that's Rand Paul standing in front of you. His hair is almost as good as mine, XOXO. Uh, dear Vlad, here are the passwords for Florida voting machines. Wink, wink. I, like, what did the letter say? Like, meet my friend. That's just the weirdest ninth grade thing that I've ever heard in my life. It is. And what's extra weird is that Russia somehow got a hold of and leaked a Lindsey Graham bill imposing heavy sanctions on Russia. And I'll be goddamned if that wasn't hand-delivered by one of those senators on that trip on July in July. And that that's conjecture, but, put, you know, put some beans on it. And then Trump magically enacted some sanctions this week, which we're due in January, by the way. So don't <laughs> start sucking his hoo-ha now. Only eight months late. <laughs> yeah, and Bureaucracy. Oh, <laughs> right. Of course. Space Force. Um, so, yeah, sanctions. And, and now there, I, I bet, um, I don't know, I would love to hear the back channel phone call or code in a picture of flowers or whatever from Trump to Putin saying, maybe that's what was in the letter. Sorry. Um, these are just temporary. Don't freak out or, you know, pretend to freak out. Everything will be fine. I don't know. Russia played along, though. He, they came out slamming the sanctions and warning of retaliation. Like, what are you, what are you going to do that you're not already doing? Like, what retaliation? Are you going to cut off our oligarchs? Like, <laughs> release the P-tape. Do that. I'm down yeah. for that. Yeah. Are you going to interfere in our elections? <laughs> we we know that one yeah that's why i'm like what else are you gonna do exactly. besides completely dismantle our democracy and take a take apart nato what else do you have mm-hmm. uh, i don't want to know but i'm sure it's just it seems just like it's probably a fake thing i don't know anyway wednesday um the special master in the cohen case filed another update to her report her final report saying that the 4008 pieces of privileged information she had delegated previously um were not all actually privileged because she put out the 4,008 pieces and then the prosecution said pretty much did like I don't know filed a thing saying for all of them saying no they're none of them are privileged and then she come back she came back and said right you're right 2,558 of them are not actually privileged and handed those over to the prosecutor so that's the end of it they have everything now so the clock is ticking on Cohen so that's an interesting thing. Then, Lordy, there are more tapes, this time featuring Jordan's boyfriend, Devin Nunes. She's going to go over uh, that for us later in the mm-hmm. show. Who I'm now would... learning is being referenced as a, a cow fucker. Yeah. <laughs> what? Did you know? I didn't know people were calling him that. No, but what's really funny is... Because I, I, oh, he fucks farmers, not because he fucks cows. Oh. Okay. I think that... Uh, you're going to talk about the farming, the farmer petition, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. All right. Then Senator Warren tweeted that Rusal, a subsidiary of Deripaska's Russian aluminum company, is getting an exemption on aluminum tariffs. And they got that exemption days after the treason summit in Helsinki. Oh, really? Yeah. We kind of saw that coming. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, hmm. And and that was one of the the, um, sort of faults with the Magnitsky Act is that the the president can just take whoever he wants off that OFAC list. Just be like, no, no, but this is for tariffs. He's like, I'm not going to... You're fine, you know. <laughs> then Friday, Roger Stonehenge, uh, Rock, Andrew Miller, <laughs> was held in contempt 
for refusing to appear after being subpoenaed by the grand jury in the Mueller probe. U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell. Incidentally, she's the same judge that ruled that dark, muddy donors can't remain anonymous at the beginning of the show. She made a ruling Friday after a sealed hearing. It turns out that Miller held himself in contempt of court so he could appeal the decision. I don't understand that. What? I hold myself in contempt! Why should you be any different? Take him away. Uh, and then the Manhattan Madam also testified this week to the grand jury. And uh, we learned this week that Mueller subpoenaed Randy Credico to testify before the grand jury next month, September 7th, actually, which first of all tells us that the conspiracy indictments aren't going to drop until at least after September 7th, um, when Manafort's second trial is scheduled to start, by the way, like three days later uh, or 10 days later. And, and Papadop is scheduled to be sentenced on the 7th as well. Credico is the comedian guy, remember, who Roger Stone claims was his back channel to Assange? And he was subpoenaed last year to the Intel Committee and appeared then. Check this out from episode five, you guys. Also, Roger Stone told the the House Intel Committee that his WikiLeaks liaison was Randy Credeco. Credeco has now been subpoenaed to testify in mid-December. So it appears that Mueller is circling Stone. We've said this recently, and he's the only one in the group that hasn't heard a peep from Mueller, and he brags about that, but that's not something to be happy about because that means you're probably a target. So many beans, episode five. (laughs) I know. Uh, And I wonder if there's any... I was actually going to say if there's any stone left unturned. (laughs) That's stupid. Um, (laughs) It's not. I I wonder if if this could be the final piece of the conspiracy investigation or... I don't know. It could be the beginning. We could, be, <laughs> we could not even know. But it seems like this is kind of the last group, uh, at least that we know about, that that he's relentlessly going after uh, outside of just Trump himself. So wasn't the uh, Manhattan Madam also doing the whole Nunberg thing, saying that she wasn't going to testify and she'd never say anything against Roger Stone? She did, but she went. Yeah, she probably somebody probably explained it to her. <laughs> I don't know. We, I, I don't know where we are in this investigation. I'm feeling, though, that the end is near. I feel like September is going to be a huge month. I knew this month would be a huge, huge month, and it hasn't disappointed. Uh, and I don't know how close up to the election. I know Rudy Giuliani has set like a September 1 drop-dead date for you can't do anything after September 1 because <laughs> the elections are in November. Um, but I don't know what the actual... I haven't even seen... The policy, I think it's more of a norm. Um, and so, of course, they want Mueller to, you know, ascribe to all the norms. But they they clearly don't care about norms, except when it comes to this. So we'll see what kind of things go down in September or if they get put off until after the election. I really don't know. Uh, but there is a confirmation hearing for Kavanaugh September 4th, and we'll talk about that shortly. So, yeah, I, I really think that it's wrapping up, it seems to me at least, which brings me to what happens with this podcast after the investigation is over. And a lot of folks in media and listeners have been asking this, and the answer is nothing. We aren't going anywhere. Um, First, believe me when I say we could spend the rest of our lives untangling this monster of an investigation. (laughs) We've done 41 main episodes, over 30 bonus episodes for patrons, and as you all know, we've only chipped the tip of the iceberg, as the experts say, because the news is coming at us at this insane pace. So there's always going to be a need for a voice for justice in politics, aside from this investigation. So we want to continue to be that voice. So we're not going anywhere. Don't worry. Someone said we should be um, gardening, she wrote. <laughs> Just, like, change our name because we, like, we could talk about anything and they would still listen. 
Oh, <laughs> I'm all, how do you garden on the radio? Yeah, um, yeah. It was just like we literally because that's how cool our listeners are. Like, I feel like they would be cool with like just listen, listening to us kind of take down anything, even if it were the Mueller investigation forever or, you know, just regular news. Yeah. yeah. Gardening conspiracy. Or just foreign influence or there's a million things we yeah, can do. Justice totally. in politics is is always going to be an issue. Um, and, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Trump wants to be president for life. I that's <laughs> ridiculous. I think we need a special prosecutor for life. I think there should just always be a Bob Mueller just investigating the shit out of our politicians. Yeah. Can, we, be... can we force him to do it? Yeah. <laughs> we would have to probably put a constitutional amendment in or something. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say they'd have to be appointed by Mars or something. Something <laughs> something that's incredibly objective. Maybe the Space Force can do it. Oh, it all makes sense now. <laughs> I was born in space. <laughs> Come here to save the world. <laughs> the aliens have to build the wall. Though. Oh, man. Um, Friday, the Boston Globe called on all newspapers across America to publish op-eds or opinion pieces trashing Trump for his attacks on the media. Uh, we're not a newspaper, but count us in. Uh, the fourth <laughs> the fourth estate is under fire along with facts which have been referred to as malleable or in, you know, developing or uh, alternative facts by both the Trump White House and the only entertainment cable network he watches. Uh, everyone familiar with Orwell knows exactly what Trump is up to. So this week, I wanted to bring on the author of Orwell and the Refugees, The Untold Story of Animal Farm, and she's also the co-host of one of my favorite pods, Gaslit Nation. Please welcome Andrea Chalupa to Muller She Wrote. Andrea, welcome. Hi, I'm so excited. I'm really excited to have you with us today. So you you had been asked, so I just want to set this up a little bit, you'd been asked in 2012 to give a speech uh, or maybe it was earlier than that because you had done a lot of research, but you, you were asked to give a speech at the National Press Club in D.C., and you had collected so much research on, on Animal Farm and Orwell that you ended up writing a book about it, and it's all about how a Ukrainian refugee uh, helped get the story out, and, and that's very personal for you. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, so this is a very <laughs> long journey. Um, so for many years, uh, since 2004, I was researching, writing a screenplay, a, fe- a proper feature film, historical drama on Stalin's genocide famine in Ukraine and the Kremlin information war that covered it up. And I was telling this story through this real life Welsh journalist uh, by the name of Gareth Jones. And it's actually the anniversary of his death this month <laughs> in August. Um, on August 12th, he was killed uh, the day before his 30th birthday out on a reporting trip, research suggests, by the, the Soviet secret police. And that was in retaliation for being uh, the first strident independent voice uh, in, in the Western media that relentlessly was exposing the fact that Stalin deliberately created a famine in Ukraine. He sealed the borders of Ukraine, wouldn't let anyone out, and took out all the food and had Soviet agents uh, stealing food from the people. And it was, it was a, a deliberate starvation. And in fact, the human rights lawyer, Raphael Lemkin, who first coined the phrase genocide, used Stalin's famine in Ukraine as a classic example of genocide. And the Kremlin to this day continues to de- deny it. And so working on this screenplay, I needed, you know, nobody wanted it. Like no producers wanted my script because it just, it was so depressing. And and just maybe I wasn't really a great writer at the time, but so I was looking for um, some happier ending, something to give uh, the script some hope and give myself some hope because it's a, a, an uphill battle to get any movie made. And so I turned to George Orwell for inspiration and I was reading uh, Christopher Hitchens introduction to animal farm 
And just a few sentences in his in his introduction immediately struck me. Uh, he wrote that Orwell had struggled to get Animal Farm out into the world. No publisher wanted it. And then finally, some small press put out some copies, and one miraculously ended up in the hands of Ukrainian refugees who immediately understood what Orwell was trying to say with Animal Farm. And these refugees worked with him to create Animal Farm in Ukrainian and give it out in the refugee camps. And I was just stunned by this. So the fact that Stalin's own victims took their power back to get their story out into the world through Orwell, partnering with Orwell. And as I was researching this story, I decided to make these refugees and Orwell part of my screenplay to show that the truth never dies. That uh, Gareth may have been killed by Soviet agents, but his reporting lives on in Orwell's Animal Farm. And the more I researched, the more I discovered that Gareth, this young Welsh journalist, and George Orwell had all these real-life connections. For instance, they shared the same literary agent. Um, they were both good friends. With Mal they were both friends with Malcolm Muggeridge. Uh, they were around the, roughly the same age, and they were very much interested in the same parts of the world. And so, you know, it, it's so I just imagined sort of their, their paths crossing. And so now Orwell was a character in my screenplay, and. Um, what was even more amazing when I put all this, all this Orwell's magic into my screenplay, I took it out to market and still producers didn't want it. And um, I was, I was like, okay, well, I don't know what to do now. And I went to um, my uncle's farmhouse in the Catskills for New Year's Eve. And I was telling him about this whole film project and, and cause I hadn't seen him in a while. And I told him like the whole happy ending of the script, the truth comes out through Orwell's animal farm through these Ukrainian refugees and the refugee camps of world war II. And my uncle looks at me and goes, oh, yeah, I have a copy of that uh, Ukrainian edition of Animal Farm. I picked it up in the refugee camp when I was a kid. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, my aunt then got up from the table and grabbed the book, and, came, and a book I'd only seen in my research and photos, and handed it to me. And so now I have it. And it was just this amazing sign from the universe, basically telling me, like, keep going, keep going. And shortly after, the script was optioned, and we just finished shooting it for four months in, in Poland and Ukraine and Scotland with a three-time Academy Award nominated director, Agnieszka Holland, who grew up in the Soviet Union and in, in Soviet-occupied Poland. Both her mother and father were journalists. Her father was arrested by the Soviet secret police and uh, his official cause of death was uh, suicide while under police interrogation. So this story was very personal to her too. And we had an incredible cast of actors, all of them, you know, even even actors who would just join us for a day on set for a couple scenes. All of our actors were just phenomenal. Um, the film stars James Norton as Gareth Jones, Vanessa Kirby as this wonderful reporter who helps him get the truth out. And then Peter Sarsgaard as Walter Duranti, the Pulitzer Prize winning Moscow bureau chief uh, for The New York Times, who works the Soviets to suppress the story and succeeds. And this, what Walter Duranti does is so vile. It, it's, a, it's, of course, not as vile as uh, the October 31st, 2016 New York Times story saying that the, the FBI saw no links between Trump and Russia. But I think, I think modern viewers can understand just what, you know, what Walter Duranti was up to and how frustrating this was. So, so basically, my book, Orwell and the Refugees, was all of my research and this whole Orwell connection. I just had all of it. So, and, and so the press club, the National Press Club in D.C. asked me to present on it, and I did, and, and I put it in. I, I put it all online as an Amazon Kindle. Uh, a friend of mine, Molly Crabapple, who was the artist of the Occupy Wall Street movement, she did the cover for it. And um, and shortly thereafter, some college kids in, in in Toronto called me up and said, "We want to send you on a on a college tour 
of Canada for two weeks. Would you be willing to do that? And I was like, sure. And they're like, but we need you to make it like a proper book. And so I had to figure out how to make it a proper book. And and I self-published and I went on this proper, <laughs> very drunk college tour of Canada talking about Orwald with, to all these audiences across Canada. And that was so fun. And then when I got home to the States, the big news was that Ukrainians were launching an uprising against their Putin puppet Yanukovych. And when the Western press was uh, largely ignoring the story, like covering Justin Bieber's arrest in Miami while Ukrainians were being killed by riot police and government snipers, I then turned to the network of uh, college students across Canada that I met on my speaking tour for, and and worked with them to immediately activate this hashtag, Digital Maidan, and worked with Ukrainian diaspora groups around the world to quickly launch this like SOS hashtag uh calling on world leaders, major media to pay attention to protesters who are being killed fighting for democracy in Ukraine. And within minutes, we were trending number one globally. We got responses on Twitter from the prime minister of France, uh, you know, major uh, people like Gary Kasparov, Russell Brand, Bianca Jagger. Other, we were written about in, in press around the world. And that created this big movement to help uh, raise money, whatever was needed for um, medical supplies for the protests. And um, we were able to crowdfund to send a videographer over there to do a live stream in English to connect English audiences to what was going on minute by minute on the ground um, and really sort of compensate for the lack of response from the Western media. So the, the whole experience of making this book, bring, you know, Orwell and the Refugees, was, was absolutely life-changing, and it led to much larger and more important work, which also positioned me to be uh, very sensitive and active to uh, the rise of Trump and Manafort. Yeah, that's kind of how I was going to tie that in, because, I mean, first of all, aside from Trump and Manafort and Yanukovych and Tymoshenko, aside from all of that, uh, before any of that happened, the number of coincidences that you stumbled upon in your research is astounding. And you're like, like you said, the whole universe was sort of lining itself up for this. And then to, I, I was kind of hoping you could tell me like what, um, like how it sort of went for you after you'd done all that research, after you, you know, talked to your family, you got that book in your hand. And now all of a sudden we have um, Manafort who had worked for, uh, Yanukovych, as you said, Putin puppet in Ukraine, uh, the, you know, the annexation of Crimea, the softening of the language in the RNC platform, uh, all of that kind of just sort of like, what, what was that like for you to sort of, I mean, the parallels are, are intense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was like living a really bad movie, bad because it was real life, but there were moments where it was like, I, I was really wondering whether we were all stuck in some simulation by some like advanced AI writer's room with a really wicked sense of humor. Because even moments like during the recounts, like right after Trump won, I was desperately calling Alex Halderman's office, you know, the, the computer scientist at the heart of the recounts. And this is when we first, you know, days within days of the election and leaving him a voicemail. And I, and I turn around and I look and right behind me is like this menacing black Trump building. <laughs> I was just like, okay, all right. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a lot of moments throughout that felt horrible, horrible because, wow, this would, for, you know, on one hand, this would make a really great film, but on the other hand, million, lives are going to be destroyed by this regime. And um, it's, and it's of course going to strengthen uh, Putin's influence around the world as well, which will also lead to the destruction of other lives and alliances. So 
all of it has felt terrible and surreal in a way that I, I, I still I'm not used to. And so that kind of brings us to your podcast, uh, Gaslit Nation, Nation, which I absolutely love. Can and, and I'm, so I'm assuming this this probably came out of this reliving of a bad movie that you're talking about. Um, so so what are the connections there? Tell us about your podcast. So yeah, when, so when I was on set, so we the, the idea of the podcast. Well, Sarah and I wanted to do it for a while because Sarah and I talk on the phone regularly. Like we, like what you hear on the podcast is what we do on the phone. But, but there's a lot more shade throwing and gossiping. We're meaner. We're much meaner on the phone. So we we kind of dial it back for the audience because because um, we we want people to still talk to us. But. <laughs> But um, so the but the when we finally said okay let's get this together and make this podcast happen that was really I, I would say born out of uh, you know uh, the, my film because I was on set from uh, I was work I was in Europe February March April May for four intense months working on this movie and it was really long hours and it was very isolating. And I kept looking at America on Twitter and it just, and, tw- and American Twitter just looked like a pit of screams. Like I did not want to go home at all. And I just kept dreading it. And, and, and that's that, that feeling of dread is even captured in the film where, where Vanessa Kirby playing this um, British reporter based in Berlin has to go to Hitler's Berlin and she's dreading it. And there's this moment, there's a scene that just captures how I was feeling at that time about having to go home to Trump's America. And so to sort of give myself something to come home to, I, I Skype with Sarah and I was like, we, we need to do this podcast because I'm, you know, I can't, I need something to come home to that's going to make me feel like I can get through this year. And and so we we reached out to Dame and they jumped on it right away and they were, they've been really lovely to us. And Sarah and I were like, you know, the whole goal of the podcast was first and foremost, the war is in the mind. Like they're trying to demoralize us. They have this fire hose of terror that's just blasting this corruption in our faces and sort of challenging us. Like, you know, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. There's nothing you can do about it. So, so what they really want is for people to check out and stop being engaged and just feel psychologically, emotionally defeated by them. And the way Sarah and I combat that is through our friendships, through each other. And so we wanted to broaden our circle of friends and just let everybody in on our conversations and with the hope that that we can sort of sustain larger, a larger, you know, group of people, just like we help sustain each other. And cause that's so important for us to be there for each other right now. And, and, and that's really the whole heart of it is, is sort of, if you can protect your mind and take back your mind from what, from what they're trying to do to it, what this far right is. And especially like the media being quite slow and, you know, and, and still debating racism and not sort of reluctant to call lie, lie, lie and racism, racism. So it's just the gaslighting across the board. We want to sort of um, help sustain people during this, during the gaslighting that's just ongoing. Yeah, I, I, we're that's exactly our mission too. Is is to help prevent fatigue and exhaustion and keep everyone engaged um, and offer comfort. Uh, and I think it's fascinating that you are, you know, you're kind of realizing your ancestry uh, by doing something like this. And I think that it's it's absolutely fascinating to you know battle this whole Orwellian idea of you don't believe what you see, you don't believe what you hear. Uh, fake news, uh, etc., and and actually working to get facts out there while also keeping people engaged, I think is is the best thing that that we can do. So I really uh, appreciate you, and I'm honored that, that you came to join us today. 
Um, do you want to tell uh, our listeners where they can find you, where they can find information about the film, where they can find information about your book and, and your pod? Sure. So I guess they can listen to the podcast on Day Magazine by following at Gaslit Nation on Twitter. And for anything else that I do, on the, especially in the film, I will be posting on my Twitter account, Andrea, Andrea Chalupa, so you can go there. But yeah, no, we're, we're really thrilled by all the work that you're doing. And it's everything that you just outlined in terms of, you know, staying engaged and fact checking. That's all we were, we were doing in the Ukrainian revolution to combat Putin's propaganda. So it, it's, it's, it's really astounding that it's a, it, the war has come to America now, this, this information war, and that we all have to, you know, stay vigilant and stay engaged. Yeah, absolutely. History repeats. And, and now I think it's, it's the women's turn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Andrea. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. I love your podcast. Please keep it up. There's room for all of us. We need more of us. And I, I'm really just, I'm, I'm so glad you were able to take time. Oh my God, my pleasure. I'm a huge fan of Muller She Wrote. <laughs> Thanks so much. I am a huge fan of Gaslit Nation. So high five, women in podcasting. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you soon. I, I, I really want to have you back as more stuff develops, okay? Oh, without question. Um, thank you so much. This is really great. And let me know if you need anything. And, and honestly, your podcast is excellent. And I learned so much when I listened to it. Same Z's to you. <laughs> okay, G, talk to you later. All right. Have a good one. Bye. She's so great, you guys. I love their podcast. Everyone check it out. It's a great name. Yeah, Gaslit Nation. Yeah. So uh, as soon as you're done subscribing to Muller, she wrote, uh, check it, check out uh, Gaslit Nation. I, they even use the 30,000 email clips in their intro. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's like we're sister pods. I love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, more news Friday. The DNC served WikiLeaks by tweet. Um, apparently, WikiLeaks is part of the DNC's lawsuit against the Federation of Russia as was Kushner, Jalisa. You reported on that, you remember? Oh, yeah. And it, it appears you can serve someone via tweet, or at least they're trying to, um, particularly when they're inside the Ecuadorian embassy in London and you can't go in there. Or, you know, I don't know. I, I, it's, it was an interesting thing. I'm going to talk to Joyce Vance about it in a little bit, too. So Omarosa uh, wrote a book, and I don't care. Um, tweet at us if there's something in there about Russia. Otherwise, I don't need a book to know that 45 is a racist asshole. So. Exactly. Uh, I'm way more interested in Bob Woodward's forthcoming book called Fear. It's got some Russia news in it, apparently. And we may cover that in our next installment of the MSW Book Club. You can join now by visiting patreon.com slash wrote. Um, Kavanaugh, as I said before, will have his first confirmation hearing September 4th. Uh, did you say that was Beyonce's birthday? Oh, yeah. September 4th. She's a, a Virgo. Oh, all right. Yes. Well, there we go. Maybe she can say, as a birthday present, I'd like you all to do anything in your power to uh, <laughs> make sure that doesn't go through. Well, she tried to get Hillary elected. She tried to do everything in her power there. and Yeah, but we got to stop this Kavanaugh thing. So That's true. I'll tweet her. Yeah, do, uh, tweet her. <laughs> she can stop it. Um, do not stop writing and calling your representatives and senators and tell them to do everything they can to stop this nomination until they can push the FOIA requests through to get the documents they've requested. That's insane that they've had to res like resort to filing FOIA requests to get documents to vet this guy. Um, we can't let Trump appoint a guy who thinks the president is above the law with a looming subpoena. Mueller, if you're listening, I hope you find a subpoena and drop it before September 4th. <laughs> Um, it's just unbelievable to me that Republicans would block the release of documents for senators to read about a judge they're being asked to appoint. All of this from the party that wouldn't even speak to Merrick Garland for over a year. It's gross. I, I don't know. It blows my mind that that's even our elected officials are doing that. Yeah. Anyway, 
uh, this week, Bill Nelson claimed he's he's a uh, he's in Florida. There, he claimed that Russia successfully hacked some of Florida's voting systems. Apparently, he told the Tampa Bay Times that Russians had quote penetrated certain counties in the state and now have free reign to move around. God, um, unquote. And he said the chair and vice chair of the Intel Committee told him to tell the election supervisors in Florida, but the Department of State, um, with good old Governor Rick Scott, douchebag, uh, says there's no evidence of the hack and they're asking for specific information. It's like, okay. That's, That's so scary. Why not even just take a precaution? Is it a money issue for him? Well, no, they need the votes. winning issue, oh, yeah. I see, they need the I Russian see. votes. <laughs> so, um, Karen McDougal got her men's journal cover. Uh, from magazine o- owner David Pecker. Uh, and this is to feign payment for her story to make it look like a contract. There was a legit contract, despite Men's Journal objecting, saying, we're going to lose advertisers we put her on the front page. Apparently, they didn't even take her picture or interview her or tell her about it. They used old pictures <laughs> and archived content about a workout routine she had. But this whole thing is so that the $150,000 payment to her is not hush money. It's mm-hmm. a contract, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a catch and kill scenario. Do you think that that'll hold up? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it made her name so tiny on the magazine cover. It's just like... Yeah, you can't even find it. Yeah, it's just a weird scenario. Yeah, and Cohen is wrapped up in this, as we said earlier. The Southern District of New York now has all the evidence, and he's under investigation for tax fraud as well. So, I mean, I I don't think you're going to be able to... Uh, you know, two years later, slap an old photo on the cover of a magazine and say we we gave her one hundred fifty thousand dollars for that, not to keep her mouth shut. Yeah, the timing is just really sketchy. Yeah, it is. And then with the AMI lawsuits about the fourth woman, and uh, it's just it's ridiculous. And why would men want her workout? I mean, I, I guess I get if it were like you know supposed to be for other reasons, but it's men fitness. Yeah, men, yeah, men's journal. It's strange, but Here, so much. Sorry, go ahead. Here's my workout routine for you, for you fellas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much of uh, men's workout routines is going to a gym and staring at women. So. Well, see, they could play that card that it's about the aesthetics, but all their other magazine covers ever were men, so they would have to say that we're taking this new direction conveniently right now for the sake of misogyny. <laughs> it's like, well, or they, you know, not misogyny, but like you know, just sex, sex they, selling. Well, they, yeah, but they. They totally protested this, and Pecker was like, no, do it. He right, right. He's going to lose advertising dollars, so clearly it's a cost-benefit analysis for him right. to lose these potential advertisers and potential stars, male stars for their covers in the future. He, he, It might be worth it to him to tank the whole magazine just yeah, to just avoid to cover this, up the political scandal. Yeah. this crime. That is the bright side, that it definitely would insinuate that uh, that was a sketchy thing. That for sure happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, though, that it's got to be easy to prove. Oh, um, yeah. Whether the evidential is direct or circumstantial, it, it, I'm sure it'll come up, and I don't know if he's going to get away with it. The way that Mueller... Uh, and this, uh, this is, of course, is probably going to come out in the Southern District of New York, but... Even their trials uh, have just been impeccable and super detailed, and I'm I'm sure that by the book mm-hmm. that whole communication chain about covering it up, giving her the cover, making it happen. I'm sure there are recorded conversations with Cohen where they decided to do that. I mean, it's I'm sure they're corroborated be able to, yeah. to prove it was a conspiracy mm-hmm. to to make that 150 thousand look like a legit contract. All right, you guys, that's the week's news. We'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies. Thank you so much for supporting our show and supporting women in podcasting. I need to ask you for a quick favor that will not cost you a dime. Please 
please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating, and then subscribe. That simple act goes a long way to helping us get the word out about the Mueller investigation, and more importantly, it expands our efforts to flip Congress blue in November. And don't forget, follow us on Twitter at MuellerSheWrote to be automatically entered to win a PlayStation 4. Don't ask. Thank you so much for listening. We would not be here without you. All right, welcome back. Hot notes. Okay, today, Jordan has some tasty vittles on her cowman, Nunez. But uh, first, <laughs> if you guys ever grew up in sort of a farming rural area and, and like joined the 4-H club, it's got to be. I like, I just imagine it like that. Or like if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite yeah. and he's drinking the milk and he's like, this one got into an onion patch. You know, yeah. that's just how I envision Nunez with his old mullet, you know, just yeah. mm-hmm. eating crustless sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> I do like those. Collecting person. chicken eggs for a summer job. Do the chickens have large talons? <laughs> Anyway, that's 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 how I imagine it. But uh, but first, Jalisa, you've done some research for us on what's happening with uh, Satan's Tower, six sixty six Fifth Avenue, the Cush Building. What'd you find out? That's correct. So uh, last Friday, Jared Kushner, while still working at the White House, mind you, sold off his six 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 Fifth Avenue building to a Qatar-linked company called Brookfield Properties. And his company, or this company, isn't just partially owned by the Qatari government. It's their second biggest investor. And so we've previously reported that Kushner was in a lot of debt over this building. It was $1.4 billion in debt, to be exact. And when he first started working at the White House, he was meeting with potential investors and using his government position as leverage. So um, this is why he eventually lost his security clearance. As we know, he would basically go to the Qatari government and be like, hey, want to buy my building? And they were like, no. And so he'd go back to work at the White House and he would push for the U.S. to announce something like a blockade of Qatar, which we did. And then he'd go back to the Qatari government and be like, well, now do you want to buy my building? And then they'd be like, yeah, fine, you psycho. We'll buy your building. So um, (laughs) it's just really strange. It just seems like the Kushners and the Qatari government, after doing some research, actually had a a really good relationship previously. Just three years ago, uh, Brookfield and Kushner Properties partnered up to redevelop a New Jersey mall. And Brookfield also loaned Kushner money to purchase the former New York Times headquarters for $295 million. Not to mention late last year, Kushner received a $1.8 or $184 million loan from a Qatari-owned company called Apollo, as well as $30 million from an Israeli investor just days before he flew to Israel for his first diplomatic trip to the region. So this is kind of just what he does. He just uses his power very openly, very publicly to get money and lots of it and so it just seems like the only issue is that he got caught up i mean he's been doing this for like three years so it's just uh it's just crazy it's like all in plain sight too so um he's obviously gone to the white house with some really clear connections to the qatari government and he also went in with a lot of debt which means Mueller could tie this to his motive and we now have all this evidence that he's successfully strong-armed countries like qatar into investing in his private businesses which is why I think Jerry's eventually going to get jail time for this. It's like, I know he's gotten away with it so far, but I think we're at a point where it's just, he's probably just trying to rack up a lot of money to get a pretty nice commissary when he's in prison. Like, maybe it's all just like, I know I'm committing crimes in front of everyone, but, you know, I still have time. Because he can't be arrested probably until they're ready to get Trump, right? Which is when he's probably not president anymore. Until they, well, until they start dropping 
the conspiracy or the crimes of collusion indictments. Right, right. Uh, but it could it could be separate, uh, kind of like how Manafort's tax and business stuff was kept separate from from the collusion. Yes, they until... could they could drop a, a an indictment on Kushner. But I'm sure what's happening now is is Mueller is I mean there's so much. There's so many different lines in that investigation that yeah. it's just taking time. The avenues he could take, that there's so many. There's the Jerry Kushner way, the Donald Trump Jr. way, Ivanka, and then all of them together. Like, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's just, it's a matter of which way he wants to go, right? Which way is probably the quickest or the most, I don't know, maybe the just most the thorough. most, yeah, thorough, like the most sound. Yeah, and if you yeah. think about, uh, if you guys noticed that uh, Rep Collins was arrested this week for insider trading. Right. Um by Berman, by the way, who's the guy that replaced Preet Bharara. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I know. Oh, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Their plan didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Berman was installed by Trump, and now he's taken down Collins, which was one of Trump's early supporters. It's nice. not got anything to do with Russia, but the reason I bring it up is because that simple investigation of him being on the board of directors for this medicine company, finding out the drug failed, which is the number, the only thing that keeps this, the, you know, the only thing this company has, mm-hmm. and then telling his son about it, and then his son telling seven other people about it and mm-hmm. them not losing, you know, hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of dollars. And they have the emails and they have the phone calls and they have everything. That investigation took, what, a year to put together? <laughs> so, like, it's you got to kind of keep that in it mind. It takes a when, while to get these bigger things. And now when you're, you're talking about, you know, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. the you intel mean, that yeah. he gave to the crown prince, uh to you know to get and then all the different policy shifts and yeah the chinese investors like all of it like it's all connected with Ong his Bang motive Bang. and his history yeah mm-hmm. it's gonna take a while that's You're right. much bulkier uh, yeah. uh, there's tons more evidence than there would be in this simple right. straightforward and absolutely hilarious insider <laughs> trading case yeah he stepped down by the way so oh he did his, re- his uh, rebid for election he, yeah he's yeah. not going for it so Aww. we actually it's a pretty solidly solidly read uh, area, but they don't have the name recognition on the incumbent anymore, <laughs> and so the Democrat might have a chance. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. That's justice in a weird, you know, karma way. So it does tie into flipping it blue, which yeah. ties into impeachment. Exactly. So there, I put it together. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't this guy Collins People also, can keep listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he also uh, asked or called for the Mueller investigation to be shut down. He was one of the first people to say that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's always come back to Russia. It's always about covering up for their guy. Yeah, absolutely. How like, many... Oh, sorry. Nope, go ahead. How many buildings do you think... I don't know. Let's just say Manhattan alone because mm-hmm. their building's hella buildings. Um, yeah. How many do you think are owned by companies that are huge players in foreign governments? I think all of them. <laughs> I think they're all tons. a part... It, yeah, it's one of those billionaire things you do. It's just you own skyscrapers. It's like it becomes like a like the yachts and stuff, right? It's not even a bad yeah. thing, I think, right? It's like the idea is that it's just like... A, it could be used for money I just didn't though. think... Oh, right. right. That yeah. it can be that, a bad that thing. That piece of it. I yeah, just yeah. didn't really think... I, I never see all those buildings and think most of these are owned by foreign governments essentially exactly (laughs) yeah yeah or just like these big players in general like they want to be you know oligarchs and stuff that are american well china (laughs) bought the one bank building in la downtown la the one you know the one that gets destroyed in independence day oh that's right (laughs) um that's how i know it (laughs) it's its biggest claim to fame i'm like yeah look at that whoa um yeah, it's it's a lot of foreign investment. It's a lot of yeah, foreign investment. It should be and, regulated and, and, a lot more, I think. And that they're focusing on um, bringing manufacturing back and keeping jobs in the United States, but you know we sell grand parts of our real estate to to foreign investment. Um, and then sometimes we sell visas doing that. Wow. Um, it's yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, because there's there's a I think there's a rule. Um, don't quote me on this, but if you 
invest in real estate in the United States or, or business in the United States, you can get a, a visa. Oh, so if you're rich enough. Yeah. Yeah, you can, <laughs> exactly. you can buy citizenship. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. That sucks. But if you actually need a safe place to go because your family's being raped and your 13-year-old right, right. son is being recruited into gangs, uh, no. Then we'll separate you None so you, you can't protect your kids while they're raped in the detention camps. Yes. Yeah. 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 Do we have to celebrate Melania's parents becoming citizens or can we, we not? We do not have that to. That is chain migration. It's disgrace. <laughs> It's yeah. a disgrace to this. Oh, wait, they're white. It's fine. Yeah. It's totally fine. I'm, yeah. I'm not like angry that they have it, of course, because that's what I, I think other people should have is a better shot, you know. They it, have it, it, shots. I celebrate. <laughs> yeah, like other people just, should have this. I celebrate, yeah, I celebrate immigration and I support uh, family reunification and family immigration. Right. I do support that. The, the hypocrisy here of someone who uh, basically stands up and says, if brown people do it, they're going to be rapists mm-hmm. and they're going, they're going to be criminals in our country. Right. Look at these five people on stage. They were right. all hurt by criminal. It boils down immigrants. to racism so many, yeah, so many times. It's fear. It's xenophobia. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a common, common tool. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the fact that Trump supporters can't see it is just sad. Right. John Oliver did a great piece um, about the ra- racism connection to Russia, how it's like one of the whitest countries ever compared to the countries that have like integrated a lot more around the world. Like Europe used to be very white and it's still white in a lot of ways, of course. But like, you know, their princess is now brown. And so that's Yeah, like, but you heard what Laura Ingram said right what, what'd she say she went on a racist twitter rant or a, a rant on her show this week saying you know there are certain areas in america that have de- taken such a huge demographic shift and it's not the way we want america to look Ugh. and especially in places like california and man and as Texas a brown person and, this is tough i'm and she's just <laughs> like she's saying she's basically saying it's not as white as it used to be yeah and isn't that terrible we didn't vote for that she said we didn't vote for that um, I can never relate to that. I'll never be white got, enough to be racist. Yeah. <laughs> she got called out pretty hard on it and then tried to walk back her her comments. And yeah. it, was, it was... Dude. She's also the one that has that Twitter gif of her doing like the Nazi salute. Yeah. And then she goes into Whoa. like a wave. It's... <laughs> So unmistakably a Nazi salute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm, I retweeted something. And this is so funny. Guys, first of all, if I retweet something or if I like something, it, that does not mean that I support everything they've done <laughs> since birth. Right, right. Uh, there's a picture out there of Steve Miller um, adjusting his coat and he's kind of making the white power um, <laughs> sign. And Snopes apparently is calling it false even though if you read the snopes article it's just their opinion they're like mm, i think he was adjusting his jacket there's no we we haven't seen the full video to know enough that it's this <laughs> and i'm like well that's an opinion then it should be unknown or right whatever and so chill out uh, and i promise you he's a racist anyway so yeah yeah you don't need that picture or that video it's just no we know yeah everybody it's fine also um, back to laura saying she we didn't vote for those demographics i didn't know we get to vote on what colors of, i would uh, people love are, to see what that looks like counties. on a ballot yeah. well rich people's <laughs> ballots have that on there oh <laughs> snap how many brown people do you want to allow in your state this year Zero to I ten. I have no idea. Ten to no. fifteen. Yeah, that makes so much really sense. Now. <laughs> Thanks for letting us in on the secret. Or it's actually called the United States Census, where you have to now self-identify as an undocumented immigrant, which Crazy. means it's, we're not going to be able to count all the people, and we're not going to be able to get all the support that we need. Yeah, that's yeah. that's hugely xenophobic. All right, thank you so much for that report, Jordan. Thank you. What is the deal with Cowman? What's going on? Yes, Cowman. With your boyfriend. So, uh, just a reminder for anyone that is unaware or doesn't remember, uh, Cowman is his 
name i guess it's not his name cal fucker is what we said and people are calling it because he's from the 22nd district which is central valley of california it is extremely farmer centric and uh i'll go into that that fun tidbit about farmers signing a, or putting forth a petition it's i'll close out with that because it's just really funny it's that's related favorite. to his cowness i yeah. would be pissed if i was a farmer too yeah, oh, yeah anyway yeah. you're gonna get into it it's so yeah. funny yeah so uh first nunez update also, thank you for not referring to him as my boyfriend, AG. I really appreciate that. that was, oh, I uh, did, though. Yeah, thank you. Earlier in the episode. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah, and I did say, what's the deal with your boyfriend? And then I was going to ask you how oh, he's damn. been. Oh, you're starting to tune God it out. It. You're suppressing he it. He hasn't been returning my texts. I don't know. But I did say, um, well, have you been texting him on WhatsApp? No. Yeah, that's oh, true. That's I how you get encrypted. Them. They're yeah. private what email server. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I did put here in, the, in my notes that you should get to pick a new boyfriend when Nunez loses his job in November. Oh, thank you. I will happily take Andrew Jans as my boyfriend. I think Andrew Jans is going to kick his ass Hell yeah. yeah can i get a new boyfriend when he's in jail like when i can i switch out no oh okay you're uh brody, with brody yeah. right yeah <laughs> oh god brody. i know that's rough no yeah you, yeah, yeah i think once we find out he didn't pay for that abortion that's when mm-hmm. okay okay that's yeah. what we're waiting for for so, context yeah. listeners julissa and i have made comments that uh express some sort of fondness about these people so they've been damned as our boyfriend i don't even know what i it was said about, about looks it was yeah i, I think that you guys Devin have been Nunes. damned actually by this but yeah it this was um, like many episodes ago yeah we gotta uh, go back it's a tease it is just a tease. they're okay. not really boyfriend yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> fuck that guy so hard um but not because he's not my boyfriend <laughs> I thought right. you said I fucked that guy no. so hard. I was like, oh God, oh, Jordan, man. you're yeah. not making my job any harder. We're teasing you about case this. case is not made without. <laughs> All right. So update on my boyfriend. He, he uh, <laughs> This week, you may have heard this reported on Mad Out, but he there's an audio recording that someone got. It was obtained from a member of a progressive group who attended a fundraiser for GOP representative Kathy McMorris Rogers of Washington State. And Nunes was talking to somebody about... The Mueller investigation and uh, essentially what he winds up doing is a couple things in this recorded memo. The first one is quote unquote, he says, if Sessions won't unrecuse and Mueller won't clear the president, we're the only ones, we being the GOP, obviously, um, which is the real danger. We have to keep all these seats. We have to keep the majority. If we do not keep the majority, all of this goes away. So this is basically a straight up declaration that the goal in the midterms this year will be to maintain the House so that they can further protect Trump from being prosecuted and not prosecuted, sorry, I misspoke, investigated. And this investigation from continuing. And what are you going to say? I was going to say, you know what's hilarious is that the defense for this, some of the talking heads that still support Trump are saying, uh, he didn't say protect, uh, you know, anything. or He didn't say we have to, you know, do this. He Basically, it's the in the beginning of his statement, he say, he says, read, read the statement again, mm-hmm. and then we'll go, go piece by piece. Yep, yep. He says, if Sessions won't unrecuse and Mueller won't clear the president, we're the only ones. So that right there establishes... They have to clear the that, president that for That what them. his point is in this particular statement is that it is up to them to clear the president yes and so anyone saying other oh, they didn't say they have to clear the president they didn't say it was his job to protect the president the word protect isn't in there critical thinking like, is supposed to be a skill they have right, right exactly yeah. and and they're trying to take that second part of the statement out and keep it by itself mm-hmm. so that it doesn't sound like you know that that's what they want it they that think that's what the goal idiots. is but basic reading comprehension man yeah mm-hmm yeah, and um, obviously Nunes has been uh, a true patriot, quote unquote, as Trump has <laughs> called him. 
in that he's been i honestly i think Rohrbacher deserves more credit in terms of supporting trump and russia uh because nunez is just a face of it although he did have the memo as you all remember which basically uh this is the thing too it's not even that the gop in general is trying to stop the investigation into trump and the you know, revelations of the effect that Russia and possible Trump-Russia collusion has had on the U.S., it's that, like, the Senate Republicans have supported the intelligence community. It's the House Republicans, the chair that the chair that Devin Nunes holds, they're mm-hmm. the ones that are just so obsessive about denying facts and just completely gaslighting everything. Right, it's, and this tape definitely explains why. For people that weren't aware before, maybe didn't listen to Mueller, she wrote, like, they, they wouldn't have made that connection until now. It makes perfect sense now mm-hmm. why he was doing all those weird things. Maybe before they were like, oh, he's probably just trying to be, you know, the Donald's advocate and just you know defend a guy that no one else is is looking out for just for the sake of i don't know fairness or whatever but now it's obvious that with the clearing him clearing him of what why does he need to be Mm -hmm. cleared you're right and now that he's made this statement like you said jaleesa that you go back and think about his behavior um with that goal in mind think of that as his mission statement Mm -hmm. you know if if sessions won't unrecuse it's up to us Mm -hmm. right that is behind the motives of all of the creepy crazy conspiracy shit that he's been doing in congress it's Mm -hmm. so obvious to me i don't understand it must be trump derangement syndrome yeah (laughs) yeah and then that is not the only thing he said that was so damning actually on that recording another thing that he talks about which is very very interesting i don't think we've really talked about this in these exact words is he suggests that in regards to impeaching rosenstein the reason why GOP is not supporting it right now is because they know they need GOP, to, they need the Senate to be focusing on Kavanaugh and getting Kavanaugh through. So he's saying that they need Such to prioritize bullshit. Kavanaugh getting through right now and then keep the House and then every GOP member is going to be supporting impeaching Rosenstein. Totally. And that, I think, could be a legitimate game plan, especially on behalf of the House GOP. I'm hoping that the Senate GOP keeps consistent because I think that their loyalty to the IC extends past kavanaugh mm-hmm. I, I don't think you know I, I i think that them refusing you know jim jordan's pitiful attempt at <laughs> introducing articles of impeachment against rosenstein i believe that dop legitimately shut that down because they shut it down yeah not because I, they're postponing i think it. it's right. bs I, it, otherwise paul ryan would have said uh this is a viable thing let's park it and we'll talk about it after we confirm Kavanaugh. But right. that's not what he said. He was like, y'all, nuts. This is stupid. We're not doing this so shit. So you don't think Paul Ryan is on board with <clears throat> he's that? He's not on board. He's, I think yeah, he's spineless much. and waiting to get out. He just wants to leave. <laughs> but if he were sticking around, I think De- I think Nunez is trying to stick around is the idea. Most right? Republicans are not. We're not on board with the impeachment of Rosenstein. Really? Of course. And yeah, not no. for this reason, you don't think? It's oh, absurd. no. That's okay. Full okay. on lie. So he's on his own. Nunez is kind of on his own. And this is what you're saying. I mean, well, there's the a House couple intelligence. Yeah, the Republicans of the House intelligence. But, but Nunez was there with this woman behind at this fundraiser, not thinking there was no press allowed in, thinking it would never get out. And somebody was like, what are you going to do with that impeachment of Rosenstein? He's like, we want to, but we have to wait because we have to focus on Kavanaugh. You guys want Kavanaugh, right? right. And that's just an absolute giant pile of bullshit. Right. And by yes. we, he just means a handful of house people. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Meadows, well, Jordan, you know, the little group of six. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. I'm not saying it's not possible that if, you know down the line they see that as the most viable option at keeping power that mm-hmm. they they're willing to go after Rosenstein. I I'm, I do not put that past the GOP. Right. I do not think that they will do that though. Got it, got it. 
Yeah, yeah. agreed. I don't. I, I think that they introduced it to see what it would be like. It was pretty fringe, and everyone was like, "No." Yeah. Okay. You fucking yeah. Like it is crazy, but that's they just they are kind of crazy. Your to own me. grave in the most desperation public and desperate way. times. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. I think it's like a hail mary. This whole plan is a hail mary. Yes, and I love how quickly it failed. It was so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Jim George. Just like that Nunez memo, which, by the way, <laughs> says that the FISA warrant was not based on the Steele dossier, mm-hmm. just so you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's like multiple things that <laughs> yeah came before. Yeah, not that he read idiots. it or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't read. Sorry. <laughs> My name is Devin Nunez. I, uh, okay. So continuing on with Devin Nunez and his uh, re-election going into what we were referencing before uh, the the cow fucking allegation <laughs> which again is just like a it's a deep state term for him <laughs> but basically it's this idea that Nunez goes around in his district that is filled with farmers and tries to say that he's a friend of the farmers he whatever has all he these grew ties up as a farmer he's yeah, a farmer ex- I'm a farmer exactly and he's constantly saying it and the farmers who by the way are largely like gop members they're not progressive people they're sick of him misrepresenting himself as a friend to farmers or someone that even farms and when we say they're not progressive people we mean like uh socially uh social democratic progressive yes like they're not liberal yeah yeah we're we're not using the word progressive to you know we're not saying like those are progressive people like no they the 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 farming in California is some of the most high-tech, incredible stuff that goes on. They feed the world, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, and yeah, just like you said, they're tired of his shit. They're tired of him coming up in his, in his you know, $500 shoes saying he's a farmer. <laughs> and, and they're like, no, you're not, man. And don't insult farmers that way. Yes. Right, right. Also, though, quite literally, they, like, this story reports that... Um, they voted for trump so they're 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 yeah. not they're not democratic the people that are bringing this they're not democrats exactly yeah uh the effort to okay so sorry i'm jumping out here oh, so okay. ba- basically some someone uh submitted a petition to the superior sacramento superior court to make devin Nunes stop calling himself a farmer on the ballot <laughs> the, the petition was filed on behalf has it on the ballot that's where it, that's what they're trying to do it's oh my god yeah it's an initiative that's funded by a democratic pack but they got people that voted for Trump and and are like not you know like I said they're not from, super progressive people yeah. yeah to be the face of this because they're the ones that are actually affected by Nunes lying and not supporting them and not being for them in the mm-hmm. way he says he is exactly and he how he should be because his whole representative like his whole district is like fucking so tied to the farming industry and mm-hmm. a lot of them are probably not pro Trump anymore because of the tariffs that are weakening the markets where they can sell things like soybeans and almonds exactly. and, and all of the things that they you know that they that they grow here in California we're again we're one of the biggest agriculture producers in the world and um that is a an important job and to be toyed with like that i would be pissed too exactly you know? like you're taking away my markets and you're calling yourself a farmer and you you know you haven't been in, in decades so please don't put farmer on the ballot to confuse people or to falsify information it's, it's like a lie exactly so um three people in the district paul Buxman. He's a Danuba stone fruit farmer, as well as Daniel O'Connell and Hope Nisley. 
they are advocating that he stop <laughs> he mandated to stop calling himself a farmer it's hilarious uh o'connell is an active advocate for local farmers and is the executive director of the central valley partnership his fa- facebook account lists his occupation as an ecosystem services consultant for the university of california systems agriculture and natural resources department so this is a very 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 smart dude very involved in the uh, farming community and all of their science Uh, (laughs) he doesn't quote i don't believe nunez has had any income from farming for at least 10 years he has some interest in a few wineries but he's distanced himself from those and says he has no yeah it's it's very different and so yeah i don't see any cows and farmeries it's like trump uh, saying i've had uh, wineries (laughs) in charlottesville (laughs) yeah uh and he says that devin has no involvement in their day-to-day management even if you were to count a winery as farming uh so again when this comes out people are saying these are deep state farmers uh and really you're 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 wrong because buxman he's a stone fruit farmer he says that he used to be a devin nunes supporter which is crazy to me and he's just tired of devin nunes calling himself a farmer when he is not because the well his well's gone dry for example like his literal well (laughs) so his water source has gone dry he's lost orchards due to lack of water his neighbor's workers have been targeted in ice audits and the recent rush of tariffs have ruined the markets for his crops yeah it's it's the whole i think it's coming down to now where finally people who voted for trump are actually feeling the negative impact of doing so with tariffs with immigration they're losing their workers um and they're finding out now that they indeed were voting against their best interests um the tax cuts didn't come through uh nunez he's never in his district he's always in dc or in new york or whatever um and it's yeah they don't feel represented and i don't blame them and we're really pulling for for andrew up there definitely yeah and also i'm gonna live fact check myself i cannot confirm that he voted for trump so don't take that to heart okay okay just that he was a devin nunes oh the stone fruit guy yeah stone fruit guy (laughs) um but they're supposed to get resolution on that uh proposed ballot measure i guess on august 30th so we'll do an update just for funsies that's amazing yeah and yeah the cowfucker thing comes from uh them just saying that he's basically screwing over farmers so the more aggressive people are labeling him as a cow way funnier than what i thought yeah no actual allegations of bestiality here as much as that be beneficial to our yeah we do not condone any any part of that shape (laughs) or form all right well thank you very much thank you jordan and like i said you should get a new boyfriend when he loses yeah you, you know did. i would love to as soon as i'm released from my past comments <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys are you ready for mananigans yeah Phenomena. 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 All right, guys, the Manafort trial was lit AF this week, uh, (laughs) and I'd like to go over it in our new segment, Mananigans. Um, That's Manafort shenanigans. This segment will be around for as long as Manafort is on trial, so who knows? Uh, That could be a while. Uh, This one actually is wrapping up, but there's another one. Yeah. There's always going to be, I think, another trial. Dude, we could follow him in prison, put a webcam. That oh seems invasive, but if yeah. he agreed, if he agreed. Look at the Manafort in his natural mm-hmm. environment. Dude, Jail. Yes, get David Attenborough to just narrate in <laughs> Manafort. Or the honey badger guy. Oh Paul Manafort, don't give a shit. Oh my gosh, that'd be great. Paul Manafort, don't care. <laughs> 
All right, so day five of the trial was Monday. Rick Gates was uh, on the stand, and Monday he told the court he and Manafort committed bank and tax fraud, but the stunner was that he admitted he had stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from Manafort by filing false expense reports. He em- he embezzled, and it was funny because he wouldn't say the word embezzling, and the and the uh, I think that actually came later um, in the cross-examination, but they're like, so you embezzled. He's like, I, fi- I falsified expense reports. So you embezzled. He's like, I falsified expense reports. You don't want to say it? I'm like, he goes, why does it matter? And then he turns around to the jury and goes, I embezzled money from Paul Manafort. <laughs> it was just hilarious. The jury likes him more now. <laughs> and um, I, I want to be clear, first of all, I this guy is a criminal and an asshole. Uh, and I Gates, he's, yes, yeah, yes. He's a terrible human being. He's garbage. And I... But, but that's just funny to me. It is funny. It is. I embezzled flipped. money. <laughs> yeah. If anyone flips, they automatically go up a little bit of a notch in my book. Yeah, yeah. Just a peg or two. Yeah. yeah. Still shitty. Mm-hmm. He is cooperating with the government. So yeah, exactly. I guess that's a, a silver lining. But he, for his terrible, terrible existence. Um, anyway, it makes sense, though, that, that this would come from prosecution because it takes it away from the defense in case they wanted to use it to paint Gaines as a shitty guy, which is they're gonna, was going to end up being their whole defense. Um, but he does go to jail for 100 years if he lies on the stand. So that's probably not likely. Uh, then there was, there were spats between Ellis and the prosecution again, when Ellis read them the riot act for unnecessary questioning about the motivations of billionaires. Then they had a pretty heated argument for about 10 minutes with Ellis criticizing, uh, Andres, the guy, one of the prosecutors for not making eye contact and rolling his eyes. Look at me. Um, he also banned the use of the word oligarch and had a back and forth with Andreas about that, all in front of the jury. Then late in the day, another big argument happened between Ellis and the prosecution about the pace of the trial. Ellis kept telling Andres to get to it, and Andres replied, well, we're at the heart of the matter, and Ellis just yelled, just listen to me. And as the Gates testimony continued, Ellis would continue uh, urging Andres to hurry it up, continually interrupting, saying, next question. And he would be like, okay, next question. And he would just, like, do that. Like, seems yeah, like a dick. He, like, well, he seems he fun. talk about what I'm going to say. Um, <clears throat> yeah, put a pin in it, bring it back. They, they also called a Treasury employee to the stand Monday who testified that Manafort and Gates did not report their foreign bank accounts. And we learned that Manafort made over $60 million working in the Ukraine, um, which we learned from the testimony of Cindy Laporta, which started Friday but continued into Monday morning. Uh, she talked about how Manafort avoided paying taxes by using shell accounts in Cyprus and creating loans and then forgiving them. And incidentally, remember that one time uh, in Manafort's notes from the Trump Tower meeting where he said, use Cyprus as inter? That now says to me, and this is conjecture, oh, yeah. but I'm right, that they actually discussed paying Russia for hacked materials in that meeting and they were going to use one of Manafort's shell companies or shell bank accounts, one of his dozen, dozens of Cypriot accounts as an intermediary to pay the Russians. Mm. So look for that. Look for that in upcoming superseding indictments on Manafort for crimes of collusion, as outlined by the Rosenstein Scope Memo. Put some beans on it. And be sure to check out episode 23 for the information on that Rosenstein Memo. We go over it in pretty good detail in episode 23. Day six of the trial, Tuesday, Rick Gates was cross-examined by the defense, but the big surprise was the defense repeated questioning about Gates' extramarital affair. And he used a lot of that embezzled money to pay for the for that affair, uh, including renting her a flat in London and stuff like that. So what a toad. Uh, <laughs> what a toad. Day seven. Day seven. More Rick Gates. And the big story on day seven um, is that right at the end, one of the defense lawyers hinted that 
Gates had had four affairs, saying, did you tell the special counsel yet that you actually engaged in four extramarital affairs? To which the prosecution immediately objected. The defense here was trying to show that Rick Gates wasn't being truthful in his testimony, but the prosecution objected immediately. There was a long sidebar up at the bench, and they put this white noise machine on so the jury can't hear him talking. Uh, And that has been put under seal because apparently uh, it contains info about, quote, ongoing and open investigations Mm. in indicating that Gates is still working with special counsel, to me at least. This is clear evidence that he maybe he slept with Butina or Ribka, but it's somehow tied to crimes of collusion. So one of his additional extramarital affair affairs has to do with future superseding indictments for crimes of collusion and i wonder who it is yeah wow them bringing that up they thought it was going to help their case little to know it's going to come back and probably be a nightmare for them what if it's a broidy related thing too because it could it have involved you think he had sex with broidy well i mean that too now that you're mentioning it it's kind of a yeah he had an extra yeah i yeah i shouldn't limit to binary uh (laughs) gender norms i shouldn't it could be anyone I can't believe that attorneys at that high of a level, defense attorneys, are doing that tactic where they bring up things that are supposed to just divulge, you know, deficiencies in their character that are completely irrelevant to the actual investigation. Like, they should know better that that's going to get shut down immediately. Well, and it's also a common thing, though. Even if it gets shut down immediately, the jury can't unhear it. They always say you can't unring the bell. And and that's something lawyers have been doing, defense lawyers have been doing, especially yeah. when you don't have a case. Yeah. Uh, forever, they're like, "Oh, what about your penis being small? Withdrawn." Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> jury will strike that from the cop. Oh yeah, yeah okay. Well, now we know he has a small dick. It's so yeah. They like do that to victims of sexual assault too and stuff. Like they'll try to get them all caught up in details that don't match up perfectly after they separate their time on the bench by months at a time. So fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just sometimes the you know, that's. Ugh, yeah, it's gross. Now, of course, on day seven, the judge continued giving an extraordinarily hard time to the prosecution about hurrying it along. He berated them when he learned one of their witnesses, an IRS agent, had been watching the whole trial from the gallery, even though Ellis had allowed him to stay. And they had to force Ellis to go back to the transcripts to prove to him that he said that the guy could stay. What? And then Ellis goes, I don't care what the transcript said. Maybe I made a mistake. Don't do it again. What a baby. Yeah. Dude. Grumpy old man. Fucking send him Gerber's. But doesn't he also, like, treat people like crap when he thinks they have a shot at winning? Just not necessarily, like, intentionally, but just, like, it's a coincidence. It's almost like he subconsciously is tougher on people that he thinks. I don't think it's he, subconscious. You think it's conscious? Yeah, and, and I, I think I will get into that because, you're, you know, you're right. Sometimes in order to make sure that the appeals process, they, they can't poke any holes in the case by being unduly difficult on the prosecution mm-hmm. because you think they're going to win, it's kind of like how Mueller is doing his due diligence with this back and forth uh, with Giuliani to make yeah. sure that if he does yeah. a subpoena, nobody can shoot it down for him not doing an, uh, everything that he could. Totally. So Ellis doesn't ever want anybody to come back and question his judgment or his ruling or the outcome in a courtroom. And it helps prevent hung juries and it, it does all mm-hmm. this other stuff. But it's, it's also just a kind of a dick. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so day eight, Thursday, the trial started with an apology from Ellis saying he was wrong to criticize prosecutors in front of the jury, and he told the jury to not allow that to sway them in any way. So that was nice. Uh, also on day eight... Two a shitty judge. He's kind of a grumpy old man. Um, also day eight, two different banks testified that Manafort faked his profit and loss sheets. We reported on this. Do you remember when we talked about how he asked Gates, 
he got he got his profit profit loss statement in a PDF document, and he asked Gates if he could transfer it into a Word document. And then it, the formatting got all fucked up, and they tried <laughs> to change the profits, and it looked obviously stupid and completely doctored. It was like bad Photoshop. It was almost like that uh, Air, uh, Donald Trump Jr. Photoshop where he made uh, Trump's approval rating go from 40 to 50 and it's so (laughs) bad like stop if you're a republican stop trying to do photoshop (laughs) and stop trying to amend pdfs you suck at it hire someone Mm -hmm. but you know you probably don't want to do that because we would testify against you Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just hilarious to me to watch them try to do technology it's so funny it makes me feel so much better about myself this is the son of the man that called in and falsified another person saying what a great man (laughs) anyway these banks so they got these profits profit and loss statements changed their profit like added 3.4 million dollars and the banks said they testified they would not have lent manafort any of the money if they had known that if they had seen their real profit and loss statement and then we also learned from the airbnb guy that manafort listed his soho condo as a second home saying he lived there full time which saves you a shitload in taxes when actually he was renting it out on airbnb and not paying those taxes but then a second sidebar happened that was put under seal and in a filing uh, Thursday, Mueller's team said that it wanted to keep that sidebar under seal because it related to an open and ongoing investigation. When the defense asked Gates, quote, were you interviewed on several occasions about your time at the Trump campaign? Unquote. The prosecution objected before Gates could answer and they had a sidebar. And right after Ellis called for a break during which the prosecution discussed, quote, ongoing criminal investigation into Russia meddling and possible coordination with the Trump campaign. Unquote. Mm, yes. They said, quote, disclosing the identified transcript portions would reveal substantive evidence pertaining to an ongoing investigation. In addition, sealing will minimize any risk of prejudice for future trials from the disclosure of new information relating to that ongoing investigation. That to me says that that indicates they will they're planning on having a future trial and a future jury for these future indictments and also he quoted uh, saying the government's concern would continue until the relevant aspect of the investigation is revealed publicly so it's coming out hell yeah i think that's blatantly clear evidence that superseding indictments from for crimes of collusion are coming which we've been saying so we're going to need some bigger beans (laughs) and then came friday Friday was weird. The judge granted the request from special counsel to keep that secret conversation sealed. But then something weirder happened. The trial was held up for several hours after another bench discussion about the Mueller filing, criticizing Ellis uh, and requesting he tell the jury to ignore one of his comments in order to prevent them from misunderstanding the gravity of the testimony presented to them. When the prosecution was asking about a $5.5 million construction loan that Manafort applied for but did not get, Ellis said, quote, you may want to spend time on loans that were granted, unquote. And the prosecution said that that statement misrepresents the law regarding bank fraud conspiracy and improperly conveys the court's opinion of the facts. You don't actually have to get the loan yeah. to break the law. It's like attempted murder is a charge still. Yeah. And so he said, um, the, the Mueller's team said it that could likely confuse and mislead the jury. And this sparked speculation that there could be a plea deal because they had all this sidebar and they took five hours. Um, but honestly, I think it was just the judge telling the jury to ignore what he said. Uh, he marched them in later and reminded them to keep an open mind and that Manafort's innocent until proven guilty, seemingly in addition to something else he may have told them behind closed doors because he, he did go into the jury room for a, a long time. And then after, after he went to the jury room after they had that bench discussion, which is sealed now, um, and he was in there for a while. And then, and then he let him go early for lunch. So I don't think there was any flipping. Um, 
But, you know, we're going to talk to Joyce Vance about that in a minute, too. And day nine was also the part where Manafort got $16 million in loans from Koch, who was promised a job as secretary of the army. Uh, but apparently was also promised like Secretary of Treasury and the, her, uh, the HUD secretary, which is what Ben Carson got. We learned that uh, the two loan officers who were given use immunity for this trial said that they felt uncomfortable about Cock wanting to lend Manafort money so badly. I didn't have the money. And I thought to myself, join the army. It's free. So they were totally cock blocking. <laughs> um, also on day nine, <clears throat> which is Friday, BT dubs, uh, prosecutors filed a motion asking Ellis to revisit another comment he made in front of the jury, and the prosecution says it will likely rest its case on Monday. So I found that fascinating uh, about all these sealed sidebars. I found it really interesting. Like, there's like three big ones, and so I felt compelled that I, uh, I wanted to talk to an expert. Joining us today is one of my favorite MSNBC contributors. She's a law professor at the University of Alabama and previously served as the U.S. attorney in Birmingham under Obama. Please welcome Joyce Vance. Joyce, thank you for agreeing to appear on Mueller, she wrote. Glad to be with you. Well, I'm very honored. Your, your insights on MSNBC are always succinct and educational. So I wanted to bring you on today to talk about the sealed sidebar conversations that have been going on in the Manafort trial this week. So can you explain what those are and maybe why they wanted them under seal? It's very interesting. This looks mysterious and maybe even devious to folks who haven't spent a lot of time trying cases in a courtroom. But really, when you're trying a case, these sort of things happen a good bit. And the reason for that is juries should only hear evidence that's properly admissible in a case. And so judges will speak privately with lawyers to determine sometimes what that evidence is, if there are any other issues in the trial, and to make sure that at the end of the trial, the jury has only heard properly admissible evidence so that whatever the result of the trial is, it can be affirmed on appeal. So I think it's important to, to put aside um, the fears that some people seem to have that there's mischief afoot here. That said, though, these sidebars have been pretty interesting. I think the most important one came during the cross-examination of Gates, the government's star cooperating witness in this case, when he was asked by the defense on cross-examination about some of his conversations with the government. And the government objected, and uh, proceedings followed six pages of conversation between lawyers and the judge that are now sealed, which means we can't see them, at least for now. But what emerged is a clearer picture of Gates's value to the government. And so this notion that although he's cooperating in the Manafort case, there are also other ongoing investigations that he's playing a role in. I think we've suspected that all along. Gates's plea agreement holds out hope that he will in fact not serve any jail time if his cooperation with the government is fruitful. And so that tells us that he had something very valuable to offer the government. The government was uh, willing to indict Manafort without Gates's assistance. When they filed that indictment, they didn't know that Gates would cooperate. He was a named co-defendant. So that tells us that although he has value in the Manafort prosecution, the primary value he has to uh, the government is probably in, in other areas. And we can speculate about what those might be if you want to. Well, yeah, no, I think you're, you know, that's a really good insight because, I mean, we've been speculating for a while now that there's probably, you know, especially since that four-page redacted Rosenstein memo came out about the scope, uh, and it it said Manafort was uh, able to be um, 
investigated for crimes of collusion, whatever those might be. I, I, I understand there's several that could be in there. But uh, these little sidebars, particularly the one you mentioned, kind of indicate that there is open, there are open and ongoing investigations, potentially with Manafort, um, or even just as Gates being, he continued, I believe, to be part of uh, Trump's campaign after Manafort left. So I think that that's um, a really interesting indicator. And then, of course, we also had the sidebar where they took that, the defense took that parting shot about four women. Um, extramarital affairs, and then they they had their little sidebar and put that under seal as well. So it's very, it's all very interesting. It is, you know, and the defense's strategy is to dirty up the government's cooperator and convince the jury that they shouldn't um, credit any of his testimony. Of course, he was the person that Manafort chose to be the government's star witness, in effect. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out with the jury. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm also with you that I think that the um, the delay that happened on day nine was the, the, you know, I think it was several hours. But the the timing seems to be, you know, the, the government, the prosecutors filed, filed their motion um, about curing something with the jury. The judge went into that jury room for quite a while uh, and apparently it got fixed and he came back out, brought the jury out, did roll call and let them go early to lunch. And then they picked up right after lunch. So I don't see it. I kind of don't see anything going on there besides a, a curative um, a situation with the jury as well. Yeah, you know, it's tough to know. There was a lot of speculation that perhaps a juror had been exposed to some outside information, which, of course, juries shouldn't have happened uh, during a trial, and that the judge painstakingly may have spoken with the juror and with the lawyers in order to make sure that that juror could continue to fairly deliberate. These things happen, not frequently, uh, but Judge Ellis has been thorough about maintaining the integrity of this trial, and and that action would seem to be in keeping with his general approach. Yeah, agreed, and I think that some of the other uh, speculations uh, that were coming out about there being some sort of a a flipping or some sort of a Manafort deciding to (laughs) cooperate, I don't know that there was time in there for in those discussions for that kind of uh, situation. Right. I saw that speculation. You know, sometimes a defendant won't actually decide to plead until he realizes that the evidence is in and that he is inevitably going to be convicted. But Manafort certainly knew that walking into this trial and is willing to roll the bones for better or for worse. Yeah, correct. And he has a whole other trial coming up in September. So <laughs> there's right. there's always... Right. Round, round two on slightly different charges. And it's worth pointing out that Manafort had the option. The government gave him the option of just doing it in one indictment. And he insisted that they indict him on these other charges in Alexandria where there was venue. That meant the the location that was correct for the government to bring charges. He could have waived that and and dealt with this in the course of one trial, but he apparently wanted to have two. Yeah. And okay, so here's something that I had mentioned earlier in the show that kind of confused me. And it's about the Andrew Miller subpoena. And they've been trying to get him in for months now. uh, And he's been um, working through through that. But then apparently he held himself in contempt of court so he could a- appeal it. I'm not quite sure I understand that move. Can you explain that to me? This is very interesting. And I'm not entirely sure what's going on here because the judge uh, sealed these proceedings. And yet the lawyers came out of court and talked about it. And they indicated that they wanted their client to be held in contempt so that they could tee up for appeal 
the issue of whether or not Mueller has proper jurisdiction as special counsel. You know, this argument we've seen before, Mueller was illegitimately appointed, therefore his indictment of Paul Manafort should be dismissed. They lost in the district court. Now they're trying to get that up on appeal. But typically when a court seals its proceedings, you don't see the lawyers walk out and talk about them. So I'll be interested to see if the judge has any comment on what happened after her hearing concluded. Yeah, that will be interesting to to, <laughs> to hear about. Um, and then one final weird question that I saw on Twitter this week, that the, apparently the DNC is suing the Russian Federation. We knew that from uh, maybe a, a couple weeks ago when they were trying to serve Kushner in that case. But they apparently uh, process served WikiLeaks via Twitter. Is that how much legal weight does a Twitter serve hold? So this is absolutely a brilliant strategy. Um, in the DNC lawsuit, of course, there will be some legal proceedings, I'm certain, to determine whether or not service by Twitter is now a good form of service. But WikiLeaks is notoriously uh, unavailable for service of process in legal proceedings. And the, the DNC, which is helmed by my former DOJ colleague, Tom Perez, who is the assistant attorney general in the Civil Rights Division, and a very fine lawyer and tactician, apparently came up with this strategy of serving WikiLeaks on Twitter, where WikiLeaks is present. And they went to the judge, and the judge authorized this service. And so yesterday, we saw this really interesting tweet from a process-serving uh, firm announcing that they were serving Twitter in this very public venue. I haven't seen that before. Perhaps it has happened, and I'm just not aware of it. But definitely worth watching. This could become a very interesting way of serving entities that are present on Twitter, but that don't have a physical office where they can be served. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. They could set a precedent. It really could. This could be a very interesting, very important development and perhaps an unforeseen consequence to some of these folks of using Twitter. Yeah, I was I was pretty taken aback by that. So I, I'm sure they'll it'll go through the courts and it'll it'll probably be appealed and all that. But you know, who knows how they're how it's going to shake out. The judge did approve it, like you said. So and and again, I think one of the points of of process serving, at least after looking at what happened with Kushner, is is your due diligence. You try every single way that you possibly can and exhaust all of your options. And, and I think that this they just found a creative way to add another option to to just kind of solidify the 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 whole thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And it's going to be very interesting because you mentioned, and I think rightly so, that this gets worked out on appeal. America is getting this sort of law school education as a result of the Trump administration. And so far, we've been involved on in criminal investigations and trials. And now it looks like America is about to learn about the appellate process. So that's great from my point of view, because I'm an appellate lawyer and, and think that that's an important part of the process. But really, many of these issues are decided only preliminarily in front of a district judge, a trial judge. And then they move on to one of the 11 circuit courts of appeals in the United States or some of the specialty appellate courts for a, a decision by a panel of judges. So this great adventure that our country is on together to explore its legal system is about to enter a new stage. Yeah. And I, I again, I'm, I'm so honored that you were able to join us today. You, you've clarified a lot of things for me. Uh, everyone, you can follow Joyce on Twitter at Joyce White Vance and always listen to her when she talks on MSNBC. She knows her stuff. So thank you so much for joining us today. 
That's so nice of you. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and it's an honor to get to join you. Oh, wow, that's so great to hear. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. All right, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Muller She Wrote. The she in Muller She Wrote is no accident. Did you know we are 100% women-owned and operated? Every single person that helps make this podcast possible identifies as a woman. Our creative and web design, our engineer and producers, our editors and digital media manager, our agent, our ad execs, our merchandising manager, and even the postal service clerk that helps me with shipping in our P.O. box. All women and all LGBTQ plus allies. We will continue to employ and partner with women as our podcast grows, but we could use your help. Please support women in podcasting by visiting MullerSheWrote.com and become a patron today. You all ready for the Fantasy Indictment League? Yes. All right. Well, before we get into this, you had put a pin in something when we were talking about um, the Manafort trial. What was it you wanted to say, Jordan? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, just another thing of Ellis being a baby. He had apparently at one point, I forget which prosecutor it was exactly, but he was he started berating a prosecutor and said that he's like, I understand you're upset, but you have tears in your eyes right now. I can see them. I can see you have tears. And he was like, I don't have tears in my eyes, Judge. Can you please like, <laughs> not say to that? Assholes. That's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. I just thought that's incredibly unprofessional professional that's that's ridiculous all in front of the jury exactly Um, it's just interesting and i I really hope it doesn't affect it in any way and it's like if you're trying to like you said before i think that's very true that he's trying to you know make this super sealed tight in the event of appeals but tears in your eyes that has nothing to do with what's going to come up in appeals that's not helping anybody Mm -mm. maybe he knows the jury will sympathize to that because the average person would be like hey this judge is really mean so maybe we'll consider that yeah maybe just focus on your job first before doing all this a lot of games it (laughs) it seems i don't think it's games i think he's just an asshole yeah um and we've heard this from multiple multitudes of prosecutors who who've tried cases in his courts he's just a jerk he's just an angry bitter old man and uh, i mean maybe he's a very happy guy and he gets it all out at work you know i don't know uh maybe that's like his kickboxing i i really don't know what the what the situation is but uh I don't know him very well, but what what I do know is the mountains and mountains of evidence in this case are heavily weighed against Manafort, and I don't. I'd like to think that none of this a holery uh, <laughs> on display by Ellis is going to have any effect on the fact that there are stacks and stacks of documents and proof right. and that tax fraud and all this stuff. Yeah, took place. yeah, I think you'll be found guilty on ten counts. So totally. All right. Anyway, back to fantasy indictment league. Um, let's see. Uh, with the with the clue for me this week in the Mueller subpoena that Credico is go is not going to testify until September, I'm taking Stone and Assange off my list this week because you can't get Stone without Credico's uh, thing, his testimony, mm-hmm. or you can, but I don't think he will. He's kind of a tie up all the loose ends sort of fellow. So I'm taking Stone and Assange off my list, and I'm going with Donald Trump Jr., though now I think there won't be any conspiracy indictments, at least until September. Um, but I want to put uh, Donald Trump Jr. and Kushner on there. And it's Kushner because, Julie says, you and I talked about earlier, that he could be indicted on all these financial crimes aside from a conspiracy, and that could come out prior to then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Donald Trump Jr., just because that brings me joy. <laughs> so Kushner Jr., um, I need the high point value, too. Uh, Cohen, but he'll be indicted in the Southern District of New York. But that counts. These don't have to be indicted in the, in the Mueller investigation. It's just as long as he's wrapped up or referred by. 
And I think uh, Butina could get another superseding indictment. Um, those count, by the way, superseding indictments. And then one rando Russian that I've never heard of. So put me down for that. Okay. Rando Russian, uh, Butina, Cohen, Kush, Jr. Those are my five. What about you guys? Nice. Yeah, mine are the same. It's just like a little uh, emphasis on Kushner. Because, yeah, with the Manafort financial stuff following the money, you're right. I think that would be something that could come way before the collusion stuff. Because collusion will probably be an afterthought for a lot of people after they see all the money. It might be easier to just have the case after they make those connections. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, the stuff that he could have, stuff that Mueller could have on him in conspiracy could be... I mean, I think it'd be Insane. plentiful. Yeah, but the money stuff is just like, it's right here. It's easy. It's just like right it's here. hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like the Russians, the Russian indictments and totally. the Manafort indictments, the Gates indictments. It's, it's, it's low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what are our superseding indictments points? Are those separately? It's, oh. It depends on who it is. Got it. it okay. But an indictment and a superseding indictment are the same value point okay, for it. depending on the person. Okay. Then I for sure am adding Butina because. I think you're totally right about that. Um, Stone, if he continues to refuse to respond to a subpoena, I don't know. Maybe would it just go straight to indictment? I think he would really wants to get that uh, Credico um, testimony, though. I think he really needs it. He wouldn't be going after it so hard if he... I mean, they tried to get him in like four times or something, and he's been refusing. Yeah. Now he's put himself in, in contempt. Um, hmm. Or was that Miller? That was Miller. My bad. Uh, yeah miller Miller, but they're all stone people yes yeah and then yeah the manhattan madam who has gone in now their whole ring of criminals Mm -hmm. Hmm. okay well i'm gonna keep stone on there just because fuck that guy yeah Mm -hmm. all right yeah um dtj for sure really hoping kushner goddamn why is it taking so long come on yeah that's the question (laughs) why did it take so long to take his security clearance man this guy no i mean i think it's probably just indicative of um how close he is to trump so that's actually probably good true yeah so let me let me cover that clarify credico is testifying september 7th miller is the guy who held himself in contempt and is refusing to testify okay okay yeah i remember us reporting on that a couple weeks ago yeah, yeah okay cool um which is yeah because he doesn't even seem he's a big fish in that he knows a lot i guess but yeah i don't know. he was a scheduler um so stone scheduler so mm-hmm. he would have known all the meetings when they happened uh and that is some probably corroborating testimony that Mueller really wants before he you know throws the cuffs on yeah on stone yeah i think that's fair i agree with you miller would not be indicted so taking him off your indictment list is what you did right or did you ever have him on your indictment league oh he's on there okay i i just mean oh i thought you were taking him off well, I'm taking I'm taking Stone and Assange off because I don't think that um, because Miller is delayed um, because he's holding himself in contempt of court <laughs> and uh, Credico is delayed. He's not testifying until September 7th. And I don't think that Mueller will and Stone's the target in that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to get Stone until he wraps up the investigation with those two. So there's a few more. And I don't think he it. can indict those two until after he interviews them either. Okay, yeah. got it. I get it. So you're so just tailoring your league to like this week. Yep, it's this ah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, I yes. feel like Jarrett, man, I can't wait any minute now. I, I, I stand by it. Yeah. Tina, though, she's a good, you know, she's arrested, but like, what if they get her for then if it's not an Lying indictment? Lying and conspiracy. Okay. Those are her two indictments so there far. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So more indictments. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once again, on this week of Jordan doesn't understand how fantasy football works. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna I wonder save. if people bet on our picks and then it's like fantasy, fantasy indictment. Ooh, Ooh, that's meta. Yeah, thank you. Okay, I'm gonna do DTJ Kushner, Butina, 
Um, I don't think Assange is going down this week or Stone. I totally agree with that. Miller, that'd be great. Who fucking holds himself in con- in, in contempt of court? What? I've never heard of that. Apparently, it's to file an appeal. You know, that's what Joyce was saying, and, and she didn't get it either. She was like, I don't know where he's going with that. Something how he wants to appeal his own thing. Yeah. So, and uh, I, just, I have one more question. It, Mueller's trying to wrap up in the next few weeks, you think, right? I don't know. Not even like a theory. Like, I think we were talking about it I earlier. I think he'll wrap up when he's done. Yeah. So, like, it probably would go past the midterms. You're, you're thinking I, again i don't know i don't know what Mueller thinks is the date he has to stop dropping like not he's not going to stop investigating right, right during midterms but he's not going to drop any indictments in a window around the election and i don't know what his window is even if people are saying like it'll interfere with the election if you do it you don't think he'll care about that like he'll just go with whatever no i'm saying he's, he's not going to drop any indictments oh okay okay and maybe maybe it's september 1st to the day after the election. Oh, okay, I see. Or maybe it's September 15th to the day, or maybe it's October 1st to the day after election. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Mueller's... what Because Mueller will not interfere with the election. He will right. not do it. So mm-hmm. he's not going to drop any indictments near the election, but I don't know what his So there'll be pre-election window. indictments and posts, and I'm trying to think... There might not be pre-election indictments. He might not oh. be done uh, in time for his window, whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, if he wants right. to get everything... you know, If he's going to stop September 15th dropping indictments... So he doesn't interfere with the election and he doesn't wrap up the September 7th stuff with uh, Credico or he doesn't get Miller in like he wants to. And he can't drop all of the collusion indictments until he has Stone, which means he has to have all those Stonehenge guys. (laughs) He might not drop any indictments until after the election. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what his time frame is. The weight of indictments in a blue wave, too, would just be generally better, Mm -hmm. I I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just for morale. Right, I guess it would. It'd be if good for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think uh, maybe a subpoena to Trump, not an indictment, but a subpoena to make him testify prior to Kavanaugh's hearing would be helpful. Mm. And that's pretty innocent. That's not going to fuck. I mean, it could fuck with an election as it should, but it can't <laughs> be any. And no one could be like, "Fuck Mueller for subpoenaing someone." It's not like it's a super big move. Mm, I mean, yeah. it's a huge Optics move, but it's not as big of a move as indictments of people like right. It Kushner could be worse. Or- yeah, that's why yeah. I'd like to see that subpoena happen sooner rather than after the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I mean, he might not do it. Yeah, yeah, it's a big move, not like a kill him move. <laughs> yeah. All right, did we get a winner for the PlayStation? Oh, I was going to ask Jaleesa about that. You were going to you were going to do that, right? Remember, we oh, had, I'm sorry, I thought you were going to do it. Well, we had the person. Well, we had that's, a winner who wanted to donate, donate it. it. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you were going to do it because you had talked with her about you had like seen her little. You're her right. That was yeah. Stuff. That was my move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So and it's funny. I talked to her. We're like, transparent here, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to announce that next week. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's good. PlayStation Four. <laughs> now I'm going to get you a PlayStation Two. I'm kidding. Oh. Also, the reason it's taking so long is because we've picked like a million people, four or five, but yeah. uh, they don't respond to us. Yeah, they didn't get We've been to reaching us. out to people. And then and the yeah. last person we picked was like, oh, that's so cool. I want to donate it. So mm-hmm. now we're going to find the next next person down the line. Yeah. Um, yes. Transparency in government and media. <laughs> and PlayStation. And podcasts. <laughs> Are you guys ready for sabotage? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, this week in Sabotage, I found a story from our buddy Scott Stedman. Uh, He dropped it uh, the day we record this, which is Saturday. And it's about Carter Page, our friend, um, and how he found out that 
Energy Investment Group. Here's the headline. Energy Investment Group claims $350 million in capital commitment from Carter Page after 2016 election. Mm-hmm. So an investment company that's based in Vegas. That's your hometown, right, Jordan? It is. Uh, and this investment company with oil and gas interests in the Middle East claimed that they got a commitment of $350 million from Carter Page's global energy capital after Page's involvement in the Trump campaign, okay? So the, the investment company, they're called RD Heritage Group. All Republicans have heritage in their view. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, they claimed on their website that they had secured a capital commitment, uh, capital commitment of hundreds of millions of dollars from Page and his company, basically saying $350 million in capital uh, commitment by Global Energy Capital, an investment management and advisory firm focused on the energy sector primarily in emerging markets, which means the Middle East. Uh, global, global Energy Capital was founded by Carter Page. Uh, Carter has spent seven years as an investment banker at, at Merrill Lynch in London, Moscow, and New York. Carter was also a foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump. So, in and this this is important because in in when Page testified to Congress in November of 2017, he said he had no other income beyond passive investments in 2016 and 2017. And when asked to clarify by Swalls Swalwell, he reiterated he had no clients in 2016 and 2017 so he lied to congress mm-hmm. uh with no clients and no income and no public business transactions it's entirely unclear how he thought he could come up with 350 million dollars for this um, investment to rd heritage and but there's email messages and calls or well what i should say is that uh, i know stedman tried to email and call them and page and everybody and, and they none of them would uh would comment on the story um their registered address is a ups store um, where this $350 million was going to come out of. It's a UPS store <laughs> in Vegas. Um, and the only other deal that they had going on since 2013 was earlier this year with something called Lean Life Health. That's a Canadian pharmaceutical company. Um, and RD Heritage and all of its partners are, are actually not accused of any wrongdoing. They were just, Paige offered them $350 million. So the question is, first of all, he lied to Congress saying he didn't have any clients. And he told Congress he had no money. So where's he going to get $350 million? Mm -hmm. Where do you think he's going to get that? Um, I'm thinking, um, do you you guys remember the Rosneft sell-off that Uh, that, uh, Trump was supposed to get 19% of? That Carter Page was was a um, broker for? Maybe that's what he thought he was going to use to do this. But yeah. wherever it comes from or wherever it maybe didn't exist, the, the the fact of the matter is that he lied to Congress. So I was wondering, that's why I have it in sabotage, if you thought that you might want to bump Paige up to your fantasy indictment league. Mm. Yeah. And remember, it's just for this week. Yeah, for this week. I'm going to say no for this week because I think it would take longer. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say the same. But it is interesting. Same for DTJ and Kushner, though. Yeah. But they're on my league. And he dresses so <laughs> suspiciously. Also, I still have two left. So I'm going to say yes and a uh, random Russian to finish yeah, yeah. mine up. Okay. He dresses like the guy in the neighborhood watch pictures, doesn't he? <laughs> I was the asking, trench coat, the shadow man? Yeah, he looks like the guy they're asking, trying to look out for. <laughs> I was asking Scott, like, how was he, did he think he was going to pay $350 million? Was he going to have, like, a floppy hat sale? <laughs> like, what? He's Inspector Gadget. He had know. no money. Yeah. yeah. I just assume these people always have pools of money flowing in somewhere. I just I, have no yeah. clue which one it would be. <laughs> and I don't know if it's specifically the Rosneft sell-off or if it's just some other thing that the Trump campaign had in the works that he had his fingers in. It could be any number of millions of bad deals or, you know, when I say bad, I mean, well, they're bad. Yeah. Um, 
shady deals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? The key to collusion is multiple streams of income. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. All right, you guys, it's time for Q&A. So this week, um, well, we don't have like a theme song for Q&A. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's just a the piece Should of dead space there. We'll get something next week. Q&A. Do, do, do. Okay, that's, that's all I got. Uh, yeah, so I we wanted to do a couple of uh, reviews. You guys have some reviews that you want to read? Oh, yeah. yeah. This is, these are my favorite. Our, our one-star reviews. You want to start good or bad? Are hilarious. Oh, let's, go, let's, let's start bad and then we'll end up with the nice one so that oh, i feel okay. better yeah yeah okay i um i can do well actually i'm gonna pull it up really quick Julie yeah yeah i'll go ahead and um I'll do the first one so this is from dave davy crockett two 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 he said three words trump derangement syndrome and then a winky face <laughs> i think the winky face is suggestive i think he's like I like it. <laughs> like, but he gave us one star. He did. So maybe he's like snarky about it, but he's like, I don't know. I just think smiling I think he's just old and he doesn't pop. understand emojis. Oh, that's the yeah, sad truth probably. Kind of like how Manafort can't figure out PDFs. Yeah. And uh, DT Jr. can't figure out Photoshop. That's, True. That's I think probably. trolls are just so mysterious sometimes. I, they could be pretty simple too, but in this case, he might be trying to tell us something. Maybe he's Russian. Maybe he's telling, yeah, maybe he's trying to tell us a lot he's of Russian. numbers in his name. Two, 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 two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why all the twos? Yeah. Hmm. Suspicious yeah. amount of twos. Very interesting. Reminds me of the Mitch Hedberg. I wish my phone number was two, 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 two. And people were like, how do I get a hold of you? Have you just pressed two for a while? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. He has an odd number of twos, I think, also, yeah. which is rarely not OCD. Well, yeah, five twos in this name that does mean an 10 odd number of even numbers yeah Very so weird. is it i wonder does he like the number two itself or does he like 22 davy yeah. crockett yeah like i don't know where it ends where does the madness end king of the wild frontier hmm yeah tweet us davy trump us derangement syndrome I've, yeah. been, I've been hearing this go around and to me what it sounds like is that people are saying that trump has derangement syndrome and i oh, agree that's with terrible that. You should get that checked out. That is sad. Yeah, yeah, it took me a while to decipher that negative review. I didn't really <laughs> understand exactly what they were saying. And then they put a winky face? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think he likes it. I think it's, again, misunderstanding of technology totally. yeah. by Republicans. <laughs> yeah, very By Trump weird. supporters. I shouldn't say Republicans. I should yeah, say Trump Yeah, supporters. emojis, yes. reviews, the whole thing. They're just totally. confused. They're very confused. <laughs> What's yours? All right, so uh, mine is by Mission Accomplished, starting off bad. Mm, That's yeah. not a good... Uh, Reminds me of Bush too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, okay, so this review is from, uh, it's titled Nasty Language. <laughs> it's She says, or he, women talking like 15-year-old boys with phrases like, lube the truth. There's more snide and snark than facts. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that your misogyny, you can't see past women using the F word and therefore you don't hear the facts. Yeah, and people love calling. lube the truth. Yeah, they love it. Yeah, and also it's a fucking two hour long podcast. We have more snide stars than facts. Shut up. <laughs> and calling us boys. That's uh I mean, not that I take offense boys. to being called boys, but I take offense to women not being able to talk in ways that apparently only boys talk like. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I guess that's really what it gets down to the misogyny, like you were saying, Ag. But it yeah. kind of has a woman sound to it, right? It does. That's what I thought too. It sounds like a lady, like a disapproving like a, mother. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, nasty I, I language. You. And I've never heard a man be like these women in their nasty language. <laughs> well, Trump called Hillary nasty. That's nasty true. woman. That's true. 
And what's up with the name Mission Accomplished? Oh, that's an old Bush thing where he, Mm -hmm. after the war, he's like, Mission Accomplished. And then it totally wasn't, and we're still at war. They're not pro-Bush, or they are pro-Bush. They're pro-Bush. And then Trump also used the Mission Accomplished thing, and everyone laughed at him. Like, maybe you shouldn't use that because it's one of the biggest political faux pas in the century. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, what about some good ones? Got any good ones? Oh, yeah, we have so many good ones. Plenty of good ones. Um, Okay, if I say one, Julissa, that you already had, you can stop me. No problem. I have a lot. Okay, Okay. so I like this one. This one is from Jim in Ohio, too. Also another two. I don't know. It's called Must Listen Podcast for the Trump Resistors. Uh, Having consumed many, many podcasts surrounding the Trump-Russian scandals, this this is one of the best. Not sure why someone wrote it was low quality sound. Audio quality is great, and the show has high production values as well. Shout out to Julissa. Oh, thank you. Woo woo. Yeah, smart, funny, and insightful. MSW is what podcasting should be. Thank you, Jim. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. I uh, five I stars like that for one. you, Jim. Yes, right back at you. All right, give us one, Julissa. Okay, this is from Abby Buzon or Buzon. Uh, says mind blowing facts. This crew is hilarious and smart and amazing. If they're wrong about a fact, they come back to it and correct themselves. That is how you know they are good, honest journalists. This is my new NPR. <gasps> yeah. Um, <clears throat> thank you. <laughs> that uh, is a big compliment. Are, That's huge. Are we journalists? I mean, I don't call myself one, but I don't, I'm not one to tell someone what to call me sometimes yeah. <laughs> i mean if you uh yeah that's true what is the definition of a journalist exactly we're reporters be, i think yeah. to a degree we I report. Think we're, i think we're fourth estate but i don't fourth know estate. i feel i feel like that's like i feel like so legit that's crazy yeah that's sometimes, a huge compliment thank you yeah. thank you abby sometimes we get insights from guests and stuff that may have not been previously reported and, and they're yeah. journalists yeah, so i mean if they <laughs> if they like us and i am strong with the imposter syndrome as we've discussed so mm-hmm. maybe it's just me not feeling like i'm worthy of that Aww. yeah i don't know what the definition of yeah maybe you should look that up that's hilarious that we're having a conversation about this because yeah. we all have imposter syndrome <laughs> um did all you right. want more well nice yeah one ones? more each one more okay. each. okay okay this one is um uh, how to choose all right this one's called try one episode you will not regret by four six forever hmm. don't know what that means uh with frequent swearing and a blunt truth that is not matched anywhere else these three ladies cover the Mueller investigation with wit and charm not found elsewhere while i was initially looking for a recording of congressional debates i cannot be happier i accidentally stumbled apro- across msw whatever uh, your politics are msw explains every detail of the Mueller investigation with proper background so all may understand what is going on in the day's current politics while msw is unapologetically progressive listeners will enjoy a refreshing return to a main focus of the defense of public information and democracy Damn. She must be into 15-year-old boys because <laughs> she likes the way we talk. So, Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. That is such a thorough review. That, that is nice. so cool. There were a couple more time. sentences, actually. Yeah, 46 forever. <laughs> That's what's up. Yeah, four, four, six, four, four, forever. Four, six forever. Yeah. Nice. I have a, a, a short one to wrap it up. Uh, this one's called Put Some Beans on It oh. by Autumn Joy. Uh, another winky face. This one seems positive though <laughs> and uh, they say you're going to love listening but hate waiting for the next episode thank mm. you ladies thanks guys yeah Yay. that's like that hate to see you leave but i love to see, watch you walk away <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah with a little less uh, sexism in it, true but, yeah. true but i mean i think when it's from a woman autumn joy i just assume that's a woman now that i think about it i'm part of the do you know problem. why they want they love to see you walk away um because of my butt yeah all right just checking yeah it's mm. empowering i think if <laughs> coming from certain you know i'm just gonna leave it at that empowering <laughs> in the butt stuff. Yeah, yeah 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 all right thank you for leaving reviews everybody it's yes, really nice seriously definitely. yeah stop by apple podcast give us one we would love you 
Um, and subscribe. Uh, it helps uh, get the word out, believe it or not. Uh, the whole point, our mission on this podcast is to make sure everybody who who can will get to hear this so that they can understand what's going on, but also not experience the fatigue from the mainstream media or or the... Um, and I'm not slamming the mainstream media. I'm just saying, you know, with a little fun and lighthearted, uplifting and comforting remarks, maybe it helps mitigate fatigue and exhaustion from from all this news. So uh, in order to get the word out, for some reason, uh, you got to subscribe on Apple and leave us a review. That's the best <laughs> way to do it. They've, they've told me. And uh, but, you know, I can't edit pdfs or use emojis properly so <laughs> i might not be the right person we uh, should do an edited version of a bad review a bad photoshop like fix version. that for you <laughs> yeah i did that one time but somebody tweeted out uh something about i love how obama and hillary are giant pieces of shit all in caps and i crossed out everything except i love obama and hillary yeah. and i said here i fixed your tweet for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, but like blacked it out like obviously That's yeah, cute. didn't funny. even try to photoshop it all right yeah. so we've got a couple questions this week uh at t ferrandino asked if there will be a scheduled protest to protect Mueller. The only one I know about is the one that would be triggered by Mueller or Rosenstein's firing. And for info on that, you can check out trumpisnotabovethelaw.org. Uh, and then you can find the uh, protest near you for when that happens. At underscore radiator cat. Yay. Uh, wants to know if I think Hope Hicks' interaction with Trump is obstruction or witness tampering. And uh, Marissa Gabrielle says, quote, Hope Hicks meeting with Trump on a plane. Witness tampering or butt stuff? <gasps> I know. Do butt stuff tonight. And I don't want to do butt stuff tonight. So as you probably all have heard, uh, Hope Hicks boarded Air Force One this week with Trump to go to Ohio. Mm -hmm. And for a group of people who flipped out about Loretta Lynch meeting on a plane on a tarmac in Phoenix with Bill Clinton for 10 seconds, even though she had nothing to do with the Hillary investigation because Comey was taking it out on his own, which is why you guys wanted him fired in the first place. So what? Um... <laughs> You can't come to me and say he went rogue and he did it himself without talking to his AG and deputy AG. And so that's why he's he's was fired. Oh, but look, the deputy, the AG is talking to Bill Clinton on the plane. So they're totally conspiring because she's in charge of that investigation. You can't say she is and then say she isn't. No, whatever. Shut up. Um, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But yeah, she boarded the plane and I, you know, someone was like, maybe she was wearing a wire and, and no, the Secret Service won't let you on uh, with a wire. They'll find it. Um, so I doubt that that's the case, mm -hmm. but I'm sure Mueller will, might want to bring her back in and ask her what happened on the plane. Uh, I would. So we might be able to look for that subpoena soon or she might just voluntarily go in and speak to him about it. Yeah, I saw a headline that suggested that maybe she could. It's, it was an opinion piece, I think. Um that maybe she's thinking about getting back into working for him or something. Oh, yeah. She was going to take a position at his campaign doing something. Not his, Yeah, for his campaign, for his 2020 campaign. Oh, yeah? Something yeah. like that. Or maybe work back at the White House with them or something like that. Yeah, I can find the source and bring it back next That's week. That's weird. Uh, at Big Politics Nerd wants to know the word for the frustration we all feel waiting for indictments, kind of like the political equivalent of blue balls. <laughs> well, as you know, I've compared it to waiting for the beat to drop in an EDM song. But uh, at Sam Stanton says it's called sadistic edging. <laughs> and he says that's a new phrase. I'm like, no, that's a pretty that's old funny. phrase. I feel like it's a purgatory. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're all kind of being punished sort of for Limbo. not staying on top of all of this as a citizenry. You that's know? meta. 
maybe yeah yeah I, I like that it falls into the simulation idea too you know whether yeah. it's religious or whatever it's like the idea is that we're all kind of left behind yeah. <laughs> we took our democracy for granted and fucking sicknesses have taken over mm-hmm. it's not our fault though it's their fault but i'm yeah. just saying apathy yeah um, this is everyone's problem uh sam stanton also wanted to know something uh now that peter smith is back in the conversation but peter smith is the guy who killed himself remember with the no foul play note Mm -hmm. um there's there's a buzzfeed piece out on him now and and um at the time shane harris told us he felt that there was no foul play as his suicide note read but he says he never felt right about it so let's go over that timeline i i went over this timeline this week when i spoke at the kremlin annex protests um june 7th 2016 that was Giuliani's pre-Trump Tower meeting meeting. Do you remember when he was like, we had a pre-meeting, Trump wasn't there. That was June 7th. And that, that night, Trump promised a speech about dirt on Hillary the following Monday. Then the next day, June 8th, Russia launched DC leaks. And then on the 9th was the Trump Tower meeting with Veselnitskaya. Two days later on the 11th, Assange appeared on UK television saying Hillary dirt was coming. And then on the 13th, Trump was supposed to give his dirt speech, but didn't, likely because he thought he'd have physical emails in his hands from that meeting. Uh, but instead, they just promised they would set up the uh, dirt and agreed to set up leaking outlets like DC Leaks and Guccifer 2.0 with uh, payment going through one of Manafort's Cypriot intermediaries. Remember his notes from the Fusion GPS transcripts? Mm-hmm. Um, June 14th, next day, Russia launched Guccifer 2.0. And the next day, Guccifer leaked DNC and DCCC emails. Then between then... Between June 14th and July 27th is when Peter Smith was looking for Hillary's emails on the dark web, said dark web folks had reached out to him and he went to this guy named Tate at the FBI and asked him to verify if these were really Hillary's emails. Um, And then, of course, July 27th, Trump gave his public wink telling Russia to hack Hillary, right? If you're listening, Mm -hmm. 30,000 emails. And hours later, they attempted to, but never succeeded that we know about. And Peter Smith says he was working with Kellyanne Conway and Clovis and Flynn and Bannon. And BuzzFeed is now reporting that Smith spent money looking for Hillary's emails and even set up an account to manage the cash flow. 88 total transactions with about $140,000. The FBI agent um, that he was working with or talked to named Matt Tate, who warned Smith that whomever was saying they had Hillary emails was likely a part of Russia's campaign against the U.S. to interfere in the elections. The word is that Flynn was in contact with Smith about all this, Peter Smith, and he's been cooperating with special counsel for a while now. So we might see this in a separate indictment from from the Trump Tower conspiracy, or it could have all been connected. We just don't know. My guess is that it was one of several side efforts, uh, and Flynn is going to bring down, I think, probably Clovis, Kellyanne, and Bannon along with that, now that Peter Smith is deceased. Mm. So that's not all the weird trying to find Hillary's emails and who was coordinating it. Yeah. And I think that Stone is such a big piece of that. And at, speaking of that, Chris Bliss 1 says he used to think Stone was a bit player, but now he suspects there's something about Assange and Guccifer we don't know. Possibly a big deal. Well, that's it. Here's what I think. I think that in the Trump Tower meeting with Veselnitskaya, Donald Trump Jr. and Manafort were promised hacked emails, so they set up, uh, they agreed to set up DC Leaks and Guccifer 2.0, and Manafort was uh, said that they could pay them to do that out of one of his Cypriot accounts. And Stone uh, said he knew a guy who could get WikiLeaks for the Trump campaign instead. That person is Credico. And uh, they'd be way better at deploying hacked documents and emails. WikiLeaks is just a much bigger platform than DC Leaks or Gucci for 2.0, mm-hmm. which, you know, they said were Romanian and not tied to Russia, but the indictments that Mueller dropped proved that they were. So the Stone was the go-between for the Trump campaign and WikiLeaks. So who knows better whether or not Manafort also paid WikiLeaks, but he certainly paid Russia. And so you can put some beans on that if you want. 
That's all conjecture, mm-hmm. by the way. Wild conjecture. <laughs> Wild. And at Johnny O seventy five says, to be honest, I'm kind of a hater. I'm not at all happy that people have found the Mueller She Wrote podcast. You all have no idea how smart I was sounding <laughs> to all my friends <laughs> when special counsel discussions started. Now they know I'm a fraud. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Uh, you guys, that's the show. Any last thoughts? No, I think that covers so much. <laughs> it was a lot this week. It was so much. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. feel like more and more hope is dropping every week, though. Yeah. Hope Hicks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's definitely picked up about three weeks ago, and it hasn't stopped ever since that Treason Megasode. You should check that out if you haven't. And um, it's, yeah, the the news, I think, is not going to stop until maybe we get that little election break, you know, from Mueller going silent, radio silence, for, so that, that, you know, because he's he's 100% going to make sure he doesn't interfere in the elections. Mm-hmm. Um that would be bad mm-hmm. uh, for for both sides. So anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Please become a patron. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. We love you so much. Our seriously, our listeners are the best listeners in all the land. So mm-hmm. we really appreciate your support, and I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I've been Ag. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn, and this is Muller. She wrote. Muller. She wrote is produced and engineered by Ag with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our sound engineering is courtesy of Resonant Recordings. Market Consulting by Amanda Reeder at Unicorn Creative. Our Digital Media Director and Subscriber Managers are Jordan Coburn, Sarah Lee Steiner, and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Fact-checking and research by AG with support from Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our web design and branding are by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. M-S-W Media.